FX presents Under the Banner of Heaven. This case I'm working on is a double murder. Inspired by the true crime bestseller by John Krakauer. Oh my God. And starring Academy Award nominee Andrew Garfield. The evidence points to things and to beliefs that I have only ever heard whisperings about. FX is Under the Banner of Heaven. All new Thursdays, only on Hulu. It's me, the sun-soaked tropical hotel looking for a companion who enjoys short walks to sandy beaches and exotic bird sightings. My only weakness? You'll never want to leave me. Download the Hotels app to find me, your perfect somewhere. Good morning, honey holders. A little sharp. A little sharp. You sound like you just woke yeah. up. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, I've had this thing in my throat today, so it was like hard to hard to get there. You got a frog in your throat? I got a frog in my throat. I'm ready for that. <laughs> I'm ready for that Ford guy to do our intro. <laughs> no, you don't have to do it anymore. That way, I don't have to do it anymore. That was Cliff's job. He had one job. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that sounded perfect for like a Tuesday morning. Like, I'm waking up, pour yeah. my coffee. It looks like Landon just got up. Yeah. <laughs> well, all, we're on this together. Guys, today we're talking about some cool stuff. We have a whiskey review for you. Uh, we have some updates on what's been going on in our life. I have a funny story about camels. Oh, I'm interested in that. Gabe had, uh, no, I'm sorry, Zach is talking about the caddy monster. And then Gabe is talking about. A huge bass that was caught. Zach went camping and had barbecue. We're playing another round of Band or Fly. And our interview today is with Pat Dorsey. Yeah. From the Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival. And that's a good one. If you guys it don't was. know who Pat Dorsey is, he's a fly fishing legend. When he's the king of tailwaters. The king of tailwaters. Right. Yeah. yeah. But before we get into all of that, I'd like to introduce our show sponsor, Honey Hole Angling. <laughs> <laughs> That's this show's brought to you every time. <laughs> this show's brought to you by us. <laughs> uh, please consider supporting us by continuing to listen to our podcast episodes, going onto our website, and purchasing some cool stuff we have there: fly tying materials, bison hair, caribou oh, fur. Oh yeah, dude! I, I I bought some last week from you. Some of that stuff is good quality. Looks nice, awesome colors, just different. Different when yeah. you're going to find at right. your local shop. We have some T-shirt options, stickers. All that helps us keep this podcast rolling. Hats. Hats. And, hey, if we sell out of our hats, we will get some nice new olive or olive camo, and camo versions. We'll get both. So. Yeah. Always, some, always good stuff. Yeah. yeah, thanks to our sponsor for supporting us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I... Sorry, you guys talking about the hair just made me realize I've been tying a lot recently. Okay. Yeah, I me had, too. I hadn't tied in over a year. I hadn't tied in See, over I year. thought during COVID I would tie. Me it, too. And I put it, I, I had this. I had my stuff on the, like, you know, we got a big kitchen table. I had it just in the corner of the kitchen table. I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I got, I got nothing else. Can't go anywhere. Right. It sat there for a year and a half. On the kitchen table. <laughs> on the kitchen table. <laughs> Uh, and then, and then, yeah, as we got closer to, like, a real recovery tree, like, okay, I started, You're like, started okay, yeah. ripping through. Yeah. That's so. F- I think it's because I was at home behind my at least for the first few, like when COVID was like intense, those first few months. You know, I was at home on a computer all day. So the last thing I wanted to do, 
was focused on anything else at a desk. Well, I lost you know? my tying table because I had to put my laptop and, and extra there. monitors there. Me too. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I'm all set up here. I'm like, oh, I can't, you know. Yeah. And then, yeah. like, you got to be on Zoom every hour. And I'm like, well, I can't be tying flies when they're like, hey, we want to see you on camera. You know what I did during COVID? I sold fly tying materials. You guys remember the when I was like, did you buy any hen, hen saddles from yeah, me? Yeah, I did. Thank you for yeah. that. Oh, I yeah. bought it. I didn't. It took me like six months to pick it up from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You did. But I'm finally tying with it, so thank you for but that. But yeah, that was a ordeal. I finally sat down and sold all that crap. Yeah, you had not s- crap, but it was just like an ordeal. Yeah. So boxes this is boxes. actually a really good story because I have so much fly tying materials, and about ninety five percent of what I have came from this really cool story. One spot. Mm-hmm. So here's the story. Someone contacted me about that they had a family member who passed away, and they were selling a bunch of fly rods, fly reels. They wanted values on everything, and uh, I actually met up with them, and uh, I looked at all their gear, and they're like, we're going to sell it to another family member all as a bulk package, so we just want to make sure that we're getting something that's fair. And I was like, well, you know, walked them through, like, if you're selling it in bulk, you should sell it at a discount, so they shouldn't be paying, like, what What you would be able to get – for these, they're all used. So, like, I came up with like a rough, rough value, and they're like, "Oh, okay, that's about what he offered us." So, we'll just go ahead and and take that. But part of that were two really nice vices, and so they left. And uh, it, like later that evening, I was sitting down and I was like, "Huh, they had like vices there and a bunch of fly fishing gear, like rods and reels." I was like, seemed to me, and they were nice vices, like just not something that anybody would have. Seems like to me he's a fly tire. So I called him the next day. I said, hey, you know, you guys had all this gear. Is there any fly tying materials? Because y'all didn't mention that to me. And they're like, oh, yeah, we have like, you know, uh, he has a huge fly tire. We just don't know what to do with it. You know, we're having an estate sale. Come come check it out. So I drove out to their estate sale that they were having. And uh, I walk in, you know, talk to them again, and they show me this dude had two rooms upstairs dedicated to fly tying. <laughs> two rooms. My man. Two bedrooms. <laughs> My man. So I'm walking around looking at everything like, holy crap. I like I don't even know where to begin. And I I was asking, I was like, what are you guys going to do with all this? Well, our, They're like, well, our state sale ends today. Whatever's not here is going to get thrown away. And I was like, well, how much do you guys want? I was like, I'll buy everything from you. What would that price be? And uh, they're like, uh, how about 500 bucks? I was like, done deal. You see, I would have been like, this is all trash. Let me bag it up for you in a trash bag. I'm going to put right. it in my car. No, I'm I'll, like, throw, it I'll, I'll throw it away for you. you got to throw it away in special <laughs> places because yeah. the natural is, material. Yeah. It, could, it could harbor fugitive bugs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I I wanted to be I wanted to be fair like someone no, no, passed away and yeah because you, you definitely got over five hundred dollars worth of stuff oh no so no, no, uh, let, gotta, let me finish the story yes. so we load up my truck and it is literally like like ev- we threw everything into bins and these bins in my truck are stacked like and I have a camper shell on the back like floor to ceiling like and stuff was just shoved in crevices and all this on my way home. I called Will, who's been on the podcast before. I was like, hey, Will, so I just bought like a lifetime supply of fly tying materials. <laughs> you want to go 50-50 on this with me? $250, and, you know, we'll split it in half. And he's like, I'm 100% in. So me and Will got together. We went through everything, and we separated it, and we went through what we wanted to keep. And what we wanted to keep was a ton, like, like 
so There's much like stuff. Full hackles, full like so much, so much stuff, and uh, it was like hard to go through. So we went through what we wanted to keep, and we got like prime pickings of the best stuff, whatever. Well, after that, we're like. There's still, like, half of it. After we went through what we wanted, everything else that was, like, duplicates or, like, just stuff that we didn't need or whatever, um, we're like, well, we'll sell the rest of it. Well, I sat on that stuff for probably a year and a half. COVID happened. I get furloughed, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and sell all these materials. So I spent, like, literally a week selling all these materials, and I pre basically sold them through the Texas Fly... Texas... Oh, no, Freshwater no, Fly the, Fishing. No, no, no. The... Fly fishing, buy sell trade page. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Um, which is a huge page, and I would go on there and I would post pictures. Well, what I found was you can't sell animal parts on Facebook or whatever. Didn't we talk about this? Last we week? did talk about it <laughs> because Facebook. So you already knew this going into last. Yeah, week. <laughs> I I I forgot that was a deal. Um, so what once. I figured <laughs> out. So what I figured out I could do is if I just wrote out what I was selling and then posted the pictures in the comments, it wouldn't. It wouldn't like they would like people selling flag guns, it. but they put like a can <laughs> and it's in the same picture. Yeah, <laughs> they put yeah. like a Lego something. Yeah, Lego <laughs> like selling Legos for seventeen hundred dollars exactly. But I would it might th- look like a Glock. <laughs> yeah. I would I would throw this stuff in like bulk and like okay here's a pile. This pile is like thirty bucks and it would be like severely discounted. Well, and then I had like probably a hundred and fifty hen saddles. I don't know why this guy needed a hundred and fifty hen saddles because you do. Uh, but because it's cool. I mean, like, who else has that? Yeah, I have like thirty hen saddles that I picked from this guy, and what I sold was probably a hundred and fifty total. Uh, and I was like five bucks a piece, five bucks a piece, and like I had just like Chase Smith bought probably like he probably bought thirty from me, and then I threw just ten in there just because I knew he would tie them. And then like people would buy stuff, I would just like if they made a big purchase, I'd throw a hen saddle in there. <laughs> yeah, it was but nice stuff. I mean, I, like I ended up nice. making like no, was good stuff, yeah. just selling all of that stuff as bulk, severely discounted tying materials. I sold everything for 2500 bucks. Dang. So I sent Will half of that because he went on the initial went in on the initial investment. Oh, dang, that was a good. See, fun. you should have turned that into like earrings. Like back back when was it 2010 when Steven Tyler did, oh, was on yeah. American Idol or, like or whatever. Like pieces, you know? Yeah, and then that jacked up all of the feather The feather trade. was nuts. Everyone was sold out of stuff. You had capes that were people would buy for 40 bucks, going for $1,700. Yeah. Yeah. $2,500 bucks because they were all of these. Uh, Put it in their hair. Yeah, all this, the uh, salons were, were buying it, and mm-hmm. they would they would flip those. It was nuts. That stuff's crazy. Yeah. There were also questionable feathers that I did not take. From the house. <laughs> very, very <laughs> questionable feathers. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to touch those with a 10-foot pole. You guys do what you need to do with those. Bald eagle feathers. Yeah. Oh, what's that bass fly? <laughs> well, sorry. <laughs> it's bald eagle feathers. But, yeah, so if you guys are uh, needing to buy fly type material on the cheap, check out your local estate sales because you just never know. Or the you Facebook page. Know. Or the Facebook got, page. we got the, those on there, too. So. Yeah. Um. But Gabe, you've been tying a lot of flies lately. Yeah, 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 and, and buying a lot of stuff lately too. So usually made the run to uh, Living Waters probably about three months ago. Go spend maybe hundred bucks, two hundred bucks. You that's know, it. That's it. That seems like a low tab at that it, shop. It is, but I, I mean, I'm not getting I'm not getting hackle feathers. So I think that 
that's a oh yeah because like one, sixty to one hundred dollars one hackle running back. Uh, oh man, he's got some nice stuff. Yeah, how much nice is that stuff. one hackle retail? Oh, well, <laughs> one yeah, one hackle like fifty cents. No, no hackle, sorry, <laughs> a cape, cape. Yeah, oh, a no. full cape. Depending on the grade and all that yeah. stuff, do they really they change? You oh. could easily get over a hundred dollars. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. But you're tying a lot with it. I mean, like yeah. you're not just using it for like a like flat that cape will that cape will last you a lifetime. Yeah. Right. One cape and different sizes too. Yeah. But there are some really nice stuff, but nothing like it was during that time where, like I said, I, I had a buddy of mine. He won his at the his local fly club's Christmas party. He had it in his desk for years, and I told him about it. I'm like, yeah, this stuff's going crazy. People are selling this stuff. He called me the next morning, and it still had, you know, it's nice cape, grizzly cape. He had the, um, you know, the tag on it that said $43 and some change. We put it on eBay for a week, and I think at the end of it all, it was either sixteen or $1,700, and he sent it to some some place in, in Arizona, some, some Heather's uh, uh, salon, hair salon up in, in Arizona. Um but it was it was crazy. We had people coming in the shop and just like buying all of our marabou out. Like you don't need all that, but that was what he could that's find. That's just what he wanted. And then once it hit, once you could find those things at Walmart in the like as seen on TV aisle, that's kind of you knew it was it was tanking. But yeah, it was a good stretch of like six months where everybody was out. Like people were driving to Whiting's farm and buying just stuff to just to get it. Yeah. It was nuts. That's Good crazy. Good I feel like a full hack, uh, full saddle, whatever they're called, is like more visually pleasing than like I would ever need. You know what I mean? Like it looks so cool, but I'm like I would never. No, need you're absolutely much. right. I mean, it it I have well, several you, of them. You don't have just, to buy man. it. Like they they break them up. You don't. No, have I know to buy they a do. Full calf saddle. Hackle, but it's nice when you have it. You're right. It's nice. nice it's there. It's like oh wow, look at this. It is. Yeah. Here's my and credit also, card. Here's my credit card. Yes. You know. Mainly, like those are dry fly hackles too, right? For oh the most yeah, part. and for so, like us too. If you're not tying a lot of dry flies and need that type of hackle, you know. But if you're in trout water and you're tying dry flies all day, it's yeah. a big deal. That's where you're. That's what you're putting your money into. Right. I'm not gonna lie, I have like one or two that I just. We're putting all of our money into uh, brushes. Brushes are expensive. Yeah, brushes, brushes are, expensive. are expensive. Yeah, but we tie we tie salt water and you yeah. know brushes make it easy. No, I, have, I have a couple of of uh, saddles. And I take them out of the bag and I pet them. Mm-hmm. I yeah. pet him. It's like, oh, you're mine. I'm not going to use you yet. Not going to use you yet. <laughs> Go to sleep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There's some stuff that's super expensive. But brushes, yeah, brushes are expensive. I dabbled before they started doing like the 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 uh, machine or the little wood setup where you can spin your own. I have one of those. Yeah, I, I, I did it the old school way before those were there with like just a board and I forgot what else and just you twist it, it. Your, cranked it yourself to do it. But I don't know. There's some, there's some cool stuff. You see the stamper for the, for the, uh, foam. I forgot. Yeah. Uh, it's like Beaver Creek or one of those like made an actual stamp. So you can put the die in there and, and pull it down. Uh, just like your cap in bottles, you know, if you're home brewing. I don't think oh, I've cool. seen that. Who makes that? Uh, I want to say it's, I, I forget the, it's like Beaver Creek, I think isn't, they do the, they sell the, the, the dies for like um, you know stonefly wings or um, is it Beaver, Beaver Creek Fly Shop yeah. that does them? Yeah, and then they have um, like I said, they just came out like last year. I think it's like sixty five, sixty nine dollars, something like that. And I thought about it, but I was like, man, am I gonna really crank out you know that that mini that I'm gonna? Do they not have a website? 
I might Beaver not. Creek? I know if you go like to, I want to say either Jay Stockard or uh, Fly Fish Food, I think might have had it. Um, Fly Fish Food. Yeah, Jay Stockard. Those those are yeah really cool stuff. If you haven't seen them, it's a uh, it's already a pre pre cut um, you know cutter, and you and they give you this this hard foam uh, bottom, so you put your your foam on top, and you can push through the foam and not worry about bending the. Um, the cutters on it, but really cool. It's called it's called a stamp. Yeah, something like that. Huh. I don't know, but I got a couple of them. The crease fly. Um, they have Chernobyl ants. They have um, uh, hopper hopper ones, different sizes. And you can either buy one stamp or you can buy as like a trio. So you buy like the the set, like or like the mm-hmm. press, and then you can buy the individual. Well, you things. can buy the set. Automatically, like that's right. they had that forever, right? Yeah. Right, and I have some of those. I have, yeah, I have a the body cutter, but, the body na- but now they have this this thing where you put you're able to put the, the cutter into this little it almost looks like a tortilla press. Uh-huh. I don't know if anyone's seen that. You know, it's just you got this handle and you got this flat board, and and then as you put down, push down the handle, it'll push down your your die, but you can take any die out there and it put is. in the new yeah. one. River Road Cutter Press. River what does Road. it look like? There you go. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have to get one of those. That's pretty cool because that's gonna be way easier than yeah. Again, seventy nine bucks. It looks way easier, but it again, it's just like how many am I tying? Like if I at what point does that make sense versus like just like taking the time and just pushing? Right, exactly. Like how many am I? Like if I'm gonna tie like a hundred, I think it would definitely be worth it. Right, but, but if you're tying twelve, probably not. I mean, yeah, it's take the same. Plus, then you have to buy the proprietary cutters too. Right. You Ooh. could probably build your own. It doesn't look that hard to do. Yeah, just I like these circular cutters they have on here too on this website. What are the circular? Uh, make like uh, poppers and stuff. Yeah, out of like a brick of foam cylinder. The cylinder. The ones? cylinder. And I've heard mix mixed reviews on those. Like some of them say you have to put a little bit of oil um, when you're doing it because some if you're or or really jack up your drill because that you're it's a bit that you're putting into the drill, mm-hmm. and but you gotta you gotta really. And I think you have to use a harder super foam. hot yeah like harder form and. F- but yeah. really fast, because then if you don't do it fast enough, you just rip it up. It yeah, you rip it up or it it twists on you. Gotcha. But still, another thing that's cool. But again, how many am I really gonna use? Yeah, the popper jig set and see that's how they make the uh, lantelopes. Do you guys tie a lot of poppers? Oh, that poppers are my favorite thing to tie. Yeah, I have been. Do you, do you buy the pre-made little popper heads? Sometimes, sometimes I just fold foam over or something. Oh yeah, like folded foam. I've done that a couple times. Yeah. That's how I make that frog. Is that folded foam? Yeah, and that works pretty well. So I've been messing around with just we needed that silver. frog. What uh, that frog was pretty cool. We need to make a fly tying video about that. I do it. It works pretty well. I don't know that I haven't named it yet either. Froggy McFrog face. Froggy <laughs> McFrog face. That'd be a pretty good name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I've been messing with just like cutting the cylinder and just putting the cylinder on yeah. instead of you know rapid foam or I don't I'm know. Just, and if you guys have any brown foam, yeah, yeah, you can take some home with you. Okay. Yeah, because I'm changing up the recipe. I did have a yellow belly for the frog, but I think I'm going to go with brown because it's better, like for here. But is it? I don't know. Trial and error. I caught one of my largest bass on that. Probably on that hey, yellow. Hey, I have a question. How have we gone this far without pouring whiskey yet? No. Oh my God. Where were we? I know. I'm saying. I'm okay. Like, sorry, guys. Um, we have dry, guys. something a little. You bit, guys got water in your glasses. We have whiskey. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm for. I'm gonna try something a little bit different. Um, tonight I have a Canadian. Whiskey, so no bourbon tonight. No bourbon. It's a limited edition. It's an Alberta Premium Cast Strength Rye, uh, sixty-three point seven 
um, percent. So it's a little hot. It's a little hot, but I I think you guys are going to like it. it. For for it being 63, I think you're hopefully going to say, well, you know what? It's not as hot so as you, you think it is. Have you tried it before? Yes, I have. You notice it's already open. Yes. Um, <laughs> but this is its definitely not Crown Royal, right? And well, Crown has maple in it. <laughs> Crown has a lot of stuff in it, right? Um, but it is one of the... I mean, it's sought after for for it being a Canadian um, for Canadian whiskey. So something a little bit different. What do you oh, got? Smells nice. As I drink my water, that's melted ice. But yeah, so this is uh, again uh, Alberta Premium uh, cast strength. Uh, it is a limited edition. I think MSRP on this is right around maybe sixty-five to sixty-nine dollars. Uh, on it, and doo, 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 tasting notes, amber gold on the color, aroma, sweet, woody, and it's oak. Very, it is sweet and woody. With a hint of vanilla. Mm-hmm. Exceptional, uh, sorry, taste. Exceptional smooth, uh, exceptionally smooth, excuse me, with notes of caramel, vanilla, and a hint of chocolate balanced with the spiciness of rye and black coriander. Yeah, I'll say I didn't get much, um, <clears throat> I don't get much fruit with it, right? Not mm-hmm. a lot of fruit, but you do get that vanilla, that um, that traditional rye spice, mm-hmm. but that's really sweet for a rye. Right, yeah, it's it not. Is. It's not like that heavy. Like it's you can tell no. it's a rye. You, yeah, but it's 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 almost like a little like bourbon mm-hmm. rye hybrid with how sweet it is. I mean, and even for it being like so hot. Yeah, you know, like that's and it does. I mean, it's it, hot on the back end. It's not it, hot on the front. It's hot on the back. For you, really? Yes. For me, because I don't get any burn in my throat. It's all for me, like lips, tongue. Finish is smooth with lingering, um, and lingering with the complexity of spice, warm vanilla, and dark fruit that keeps coming back for more. Mm. But yeah, you 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 taste that that rye up front, but it's not the normal rye that you no. norm like from a from from something else. Um, it's like a more complex, a lot more complex. Um, there's like Canadian 20, whiskey. Yeah, there's like a million things happening right here. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, definitely not as smooth i would say as as like crown royal is but it it's it's definitely a lot more it's tastier it is tastier and that's that's the that's the proof for me i think like because like i don't get any burn in that i don't get any like that coughing burn you know like where it's like you feel in the back of your throat so for me i would say it's it's pretty smooth to me but it's because i'm only getting that that spicy or that like tingling yeah and like the tip of my tongue uh, a little bit on the the back end of my lips but and you're digging it straight too, so I know I usually don't take mine with a with a, a with an ice cube ice cube today, but uh, well, that cha- and that right. changes things too. Yeah. What you thinking over there, Landon? I like it. It's definitely different. Yeah, it's, de- but it's, it's different. It's got like it's almost. I almost wouldn't think it's a rye, unless you told me, because it's so sweet. Yeah, I'm right there with you. If you told me it was. You told me it was something else. If you just told me it was Canadian whiskey, I'd probably believe you. See, to me, it tastes more like a scotch. Oh, see, I don't get any scotch. I don't get any like just because I so associate more on the heat. Yeah, with the heat of it, but I so associate scotch with that like that peatiness. Oh that, yeah, I forgot it, about it, that. We it, drink it, two different scotches. Yeah. Oh yeah. See, and like because <laughs> he likes you don't mind the peat as much, Landon. I like some peat. I don't like only peat. Right. And so I feel like a lot of the scotches I've had have had like that peat forward 
And so, like, I associate all scotches with... I mean, you don't like the taste of dirt? Smoke dirt? <laughs> yeah, not really. Band-Aids. <laughs> um, uh, this, this one usually comes out once a year, um, maybe twice, but I want to say it's once a year in and around, like, October. Um, October, November area. Um, but again, it's, it's not, you're not getting a call on this. You just kind of have to walk in. They usually put it, um, they don't put it out usually in one of the cases. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, for, can I see the bottle? Yeah. For, for 60 something bucks. I do um, like the bottle design. It is very pretty. Yeah. Yeah. The bottle's nice. Doesn't have a normal cork on it. It's got like a, a little twisty, <laughs> a little twisty on top. Um, but something a little bit cooler than, than Crown Royal for sure. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd, would I buy another one? Maybe just to have something different on hand. Yeah. You know, if someone said, well, what, what Canadian whiskey would you, would you pull? I, I think this one would be, would be it. I think the only other one would be Caribou Crossing. Um, I think, Hey, I think Crown Lemonade is what I, <laughs> man, that yeah. was so good. <laughs> that, was, that was good. Hey, so I, I have big news. What? Uh, our trailer's ready. Oh yeah, yeah, I gotta go pick it up. Yeah, trying to figure that out. Got to get some ducks in a row. Where is it at? It's in uh, Buda. Oh, okay, so, so not just far. just south of Austin. Yeah, yeah, we gotta get some ducks in a row. Gotta put, find a place to store it. Oh, that's right. Is the is the big thing? How big yeah. is it? It's twenty feet. Oh yeah, so you can't put it in your front like you. No, we're in an HOA and they are jerks. Yeah. So, nope, can't put it in my. And storage, well, well, it probably won't fit in a storage unit then if it's right at 20 feet. Because by the time no, you close the storage unit. units are so expensive. I'm trying to get it at a place that's specifically like boat and RV storage. Yeah. So it's a little because, like open. You because it's more it. open and I can lock it up there. And those places are usually locked and secure. And I'm trying to find a good place that's close. Yeah. Um, but it's significantly less than a storage unit for sure. Yeah. yeah sell your house. Live in the trailer. Yeah. Get hey, some property. Not a bad idea. Not in a 20-foot trailer. Down by the river. <laughs> Down <laughs> by the river. So, yeah, working on that. So that should be very soon. We'll go pick it up. Just trying to get all of our ducks in a row first. Yeah. So. That'll be nice. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, because we need to go camping. I know. Yeah, we got. It'll be nice to have a home base. and. I know. We got to figure out. I need to get a bigger tent that we can actually put our. Cots into. Cots in. Because we keep doing the inflatable like little camp mattresses you know which you can do it it's not bad you're yeah. comfortable but a cot's much nicer yeah last night or the re- half the reason why i came home early is because we we're like oh we kind of hurt a little bit right now let's just go home <laughs> can i suggest a tent cot which i have one and they are fantastic oh yeah yeah. but do they, do they make a double yeah they do oh really yeah they make a double i feel like that'd be weird I don't like to sleep with my wife anyway, so it's fine. Yeah. Just have a single or a double with extra room to, to roll around in. Right. Or get a, this would be like multiple steps, I could get a roof rack for my Jeep and then get, get a one rooftop of those. tent. Yeah. 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 You had that for a bit. Not a fan, honestly. But why? So why wasn't, weren't you a fan? It's, so you think it's this easy thing to do. I remember setting yours up. It, it took longer to set it up than I did, like if I were to set up like five tents. Yeah, and it's so hard to level a truck. You almost have to get leveling blocks. Oh, gotcha. And so... I didn't think about that, yeah. And then, you know, with a tent, you set it up, and you can leave it and come back to it. With a rooftop tent, you have to tear it down, put it back oh, up. Oh, if you want to drive anywhere. If you want to drive anywhere. That's true, because, so like, it, we drove a couple places. It is more work. But on the flip side, it is more comfortable than a tent. Yeah. And it's kind of cool. It's like you're in a treehouse. Yeah. You're camping in a treehouse. Yeah. 
And the the comforts there because the mattress like with the ours had a memory foam mattress in it. It was nice. And one thing that was nice is we could like it would fold down. It has enough built-in room to fold down. Like we could leave our pillows, sleeping bag, and stuff like that in there. We wouldn't have to like pack them up. So we could just leave them in there, tear it down, you know, put it back up for if we're doing it for the whole weekend. Oh, right? you could just it would take it w- a couple seconds. Yeah, yeah. If we had to move around. Um, like I said, the but, tent, to me, the tent cots were perfect because they, if you've ever been in one, you have, you know, it's basically a cot, and when you open it up, it it pops up, you know, and, and then you have those two little, I don't know what you call them, those like bars that you'd see in tents, but it allows you to kind of pop up the top part of yeah, it. So, so you, you have, have like this little dome in there. You yeah. can you can literally, when you're in the cot, you could sit up and not necessarily hit your head on the top part of it yeah. mm-hmm. as you're sitting there. Um, and use it in cold weather, use it in rain, comes with a rain fly on it. Uh, it's got uh, two different enclosures, enclose, uh, clo- I don't know, enclosures on each side. So you have not only a bug net, but then you have an outer one that can completely close to give you I privacy. I feel like that would be a good option if you're yeah. camping at the beach. And I did use, that's what I bought it for. Um, we did a 10-day on um, on pins. Ooh, yeah. we need to do that. And do it uh, the summer. it's fantastic. It was, I think we were about 20-something miles down. Um, and uh, it, was, it was solid. But it was weird because the first couple of days, it's like, it's hard to go to sleep. But then after like day seven... It's you're, you're so you're exhausted. so exhausted from fishing and and you know and having fun and being in the water that when you got back home on day ten trying to sleep was weird because everything was so quiet you heard the waves every night every day and then now you're at home and you're just like, like you hear a cricket you had to like turn on like a sound oh, simulator on the beach it was bad but man <laughs> that that thing was awesome um I re- I remember the buddy that I was with he was like look. Um, you know, I got a I got a coffee can with toilet paper in there, but and I've got uh, a red toilet seat, and uh, but we need to find a five gallon bucket. He goes, I've never done this trip without finding one on the drive to our spot. Sure enough, we found like five of them. So, so you didn't buy a five we, gallon we didn't bucket? Buy, no, we just found one on the on the oh, beach. Man. Yeah, why buy a new? Right. Uh, why buy a new shitting bucket? Exactly. Yeah. When you can <laughs> find one on the way out. Yeah, and, then, right and then we 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 got to our spot. We backed it up into the into the um, into the dunes. We had enough food easily for like twenty days, and we had like good stuff. He had already vacuum sealed, you know, some stews and some uh, some you know chickens. It was just, we ate good every night. It wasn't just hot dogs. And then we, um, you know, I remember we got to our spot. He's like, "Hey, go find a, a you know go find our spot that we're going to be using to the bathroom every day," and we went. Uh, just around the corner, found it, and I will say, waking up in the morning to go to your morning business in that bathroom was just amazing. Like oh, you're just nice. sitting there and you just look, watching, you know, the morning glories while you're taking a morning glory. We're all out, you know, and 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 all open, <laughs> and just hearing the waves while you're just, you know, taking your your morning, you know, thing, waving at the Coast Guard plane flying by. But the reason why it was red. Because I asked him, I was like, why, is it, why does it have to be red? And he's like, well, if it falls off and sand gets on it, you can find it a lot easier, <laughs> you know, with yeah. it with it on there. Yeah, so, yeah, true. it was that was that was a really cool trip, and definitely. And that's that's why I bought that 10 cot. It worked great every day, uh, and I've used it. I've used it every once in a while. In fact, I put it up in the backyard, and just when we got cold weather last year, I'd go in there and sleep, and it, it kept me warm. Yeah. You know the most comfortable I've been camping is when I'm in the back of my Jeep. Like I put that on the back seats. I put my little. Can you fully stretch out? Yeah, really. Huh? It's yeah. like exactly. It's like 
I'm a little under six feet, and it's probably a little under six feet from the back of the chair to the tailgate, you mm. know? And so, like, I fit perfectly. The only thing with that is I bring so much crap every time I go camping. Oh, yeah, you got to put all that stuff out. Right. I'm like, it doesn't all fit in the front seat. So if I'm by myself, it is amazing. But Kendall and I, both in the back of the Jeep, we'd have to find places for, like, all the stuff we bring. And well, okay, so here's what you do, Zach. Instead of getting the rooftop tent, it sounds like you guys, like, sl- like sleeping in the Jeep is a good option. Get you one of those rooftop containers. Yeah, a little bit easier. And then that way you can throw all your gear up there, and then yep. you guys can sleep in the back of your Jeep. Yeah, yeah that's the way to do it. Yeah. Just don't invite your girl. <laughs> all the room in the world. <laughs> just, just be like, hey. Exactly. I got my cooler right there. I can get yeah. a little beer right, right before I go to bed. And you have one of those uh, hitch deals uh, that you can like oh, put the cooler. Cage. Yeah, the yeah. cage. You can put the Yeti on and all that. Right there. And then, yeah, you're good to go. That's right. What do we got? So let's move on to some. Uh, oh, you want to talk about barbecue real quick? I don't want to dwell on it too long because we always talk about barbecue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, no, no uh, how Cooper's is the best. Cooper's and Lano. Cooper's and Lano. Oh, one thing I'd like to clarify. Yes. Uh, that's like the. That's Cooper's, the original Cooper's. Cooper's and Lano and Mason are like owned by the OG Cooper's. When people talk about Cooper's, they're talking about Cooper's and Lano and yep. Cooper's and Mason. Yep. I'm just going to flat out now say Now we're and now, Austin, I think. and now I'm going to say it, and this is probably going to make some people mad, but Cooper's Injunction is not associated with the OG Cooper's. I've specifically asked them when I was at that restaurant, and it is crappy. <laughs> it's prob- honestly, it's probably the worst barbecue I've had. I've been there twice. Of the one place. I've been there twice. Yep. And the barbecue has not been, been good. No. At all. Uh-uh. And we were t- like we had been fishing the whole day, and we went, and it still wasn't good. And yeah. like when you're tired and you eat barbecue and it's still not good, you know something's up. Well, I feel bad for people because I know people who thought that was like the Coopers to go to. And they're like, like everyone talks about this place. And yeah, that's like you guys went to the wrong Cooper. So if you guys don't know, and you guys have been thinking that Cooper's Injunction is the best. You are truly missing out on an experience if you go to Cooper's in Lano or in Mason. Right. Or if you hear somebody say, hey, Cooper's is the best barbecue. And you're like, oh, Cooper's is awful. And you've only been to the one in Junction? Yep. Yeah, expand that, your horizon. Exactly. That's the reason why you think it's awful is because you're going to the one that's not connected. Yeah. But in Lano, it's fantastic. And I you like have how to get it dunked. You asked uh, on the Instagram stories, what's people's favorite barbecue? Someone put Bill Miller. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, hey. I will say, I will say, working from home. Ice tea and a po' boy. Sometimes, actually, a wild bill. If you don't know what a wild What's bill a wild is, bill? they put uh, brisket and sausage in the sandwich, um, and then I take my French fries and I put my French fries in that sandwich oh, yeah. as well. Have you ever and done a side it? of sauce to dip? <clears throat> Amazing, life changing. Okay, so what I do? I do brisket, okay, right? Brisket po' boy because the regular brisket by itself not great. Mm-hmm. On a po' boy, everything's yeah. fine, right? Make everything to that a sandwich. Bread. Something it's about that bread. It is right. Just goes together. So either. Brisket or turkey, mm-hmm. you put your fries on the sandwich, yep. and side of mac and cheese that goes on the sandwich too. I will. the The only thing I wish Bill Miller's did is if you've ever been to their Laguna Madre, uh-huh. there was a there was like two weeks where Laguna Madre was trying to trying to see if waffle fries would work, and I swear to God, the waffle fries were better than. The uh, little wedge things, the, or whatever they the are, wet like you're gonna get at uh, at uh, what's the chicken place? Uh, Chick Fil A, like that. But they had a seasoning on it. 
I was like, how are you not picking this up? How is this not the move? And they didn't they didn't bring it up. Their, so I, their I was, fries are unique. I've never seen another place with fries like get it ex- and get it extra crispy. Oh, yeah, you can order crispy. you can order it extra crispy with a side of sour cream. I, <laughs> oh really? However, I would say I'm their breakfast say, tacos. Are the I would best. say Bill Miller breakfast tacos. And no, someone said they're not the best in San Antonio. There are better places for there breakfast are. tacos. But if my I'm favorite places in Bur- Bernie, Mary's. Oh, Mary's is the best taco ever. Yeah, breakfast yeah. taco. Mary's is the best. It's in Bernie. It's fantastic. But as a Bill Miller, I'm going to hold my tongue on that one. That's another discussion that we can have. Really? Okay, I'm open that discussion. You're no, no, not- it's okay. We're going to keep going on our barbecue stuff. This, <laughs> okay. this can get nasty pretty quick. So, uh, but Bill Miller's is like a place to go through and get a good, not great, not fantastic, not out of this world, a good breakfast taco and a tea. At 6.30 in the morning. At 6.30 in the morning. You can go through the drive-thru. It takes two minutes, and you have, like, they actually, they don't cut up the bacon and put it in your eggs. They give you a full strip of bacon. Yeah, that's the way to go. Like, anybody that cuts their bacon into their eggs is cheating. Like, you have to have a full strip of bacon. They do a full strip, and it's always pretty good. And their hot sauce is pretty good, too. Yes. But, again, we're talking about... Barbecue, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah. So again, I, I, I just, I like the fact that you can go there. There's one on every corner, grab and go. But, um, but, but I guess the, you know the main thing I had is when you, when you see a lot of the write ups from Franklin's. Franklin says I don't want to open up any other locations because it's going to ruin the quality of what I have. Do we see that with stuff like Blacks? Do we see that? It sounds like Coopers. I mean, again, there's different some different right, owners, right. but that name's on the board, and it's and colored the same way, and you know, text is the same. I think OG restaurants are always better than franchises that open up. But at what at what point is it not? Is it no longer that? At how many other mm-hmm. locations does that quality kind of go down a little bit? I don't know. That's a good question. Because you would have thought that that Franklin would have been having at least one in Houston, if not one in Dallas, and raking up the money. But he just has one, and he, he says, "I can't one. replicate the the quality of you know the wood, the the sourced meat that I'm getting. I, I'm not going to be able to 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 continue that." Plus, those pits, they know how to work them. They've been working on them for years. They know what temperature. And well, I don't think the I I don't know if the Pits are a thing. I feel like he's got it down to a science yeah. on what to look for. But when you're when you're sourcing your wood from a particular farm, and you're sourcing your meat from a particular uh, you know farm as well, uh, that that makes a difference. You know, you know what that those yeah. those you know cows are eating, um, and, and have a better control of the quality. I just I don't know. Like you know, we were talking uh, Zach and I were talking about you know the or not Lulian. Um, Lockhart, uh-huh. you know, and and those there and blacks there, but I've I've been to like three of them, and they're always sometimes there's just a toss up. I feel like sometimes I get a little bit better consistency out of the Lockhart group out of one place. Yeah, out yeah. of one place than the other ones, but yeah, I don't know. Road trip. Just people are people are trip. heated about barbecue though. I feel like everyone has their favorite place. Like mine's always gonna be Cooper's, and it's gonna be tough too because Injunction. Just, yeah, no. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Cooper, Cooper's Atlanta. I think I have a lot of good memories of the Cooper's Atlanta, too, which definitely helps. I have good memories of Franklin's, but... And Franklin's was good. I enjoyed it. And my sister, she was... The year I went, she was at UT. My dad and I stood in line for the four hours and, and whatnot. She took a Uber, and literally as we got our meat cut and we're sitting down, she rolls up. So I asked her, is it good because I waited in line for four hours, or is it good because it's good? And she says, no, this is this is fantastic. It is it is great. However, I will say this, Franklin's side suck. Yes. 
and their and their barbecue sauce sauces. Yeah, their barbecue sauce. But they never claim to have great sides. No, but it it has fantastic brisket. But as a barbecue place as a whole, you get to judge it from yeah. you know door to door. No, not the best. Brisket, yes. The ribs were fantastic. Well, I the sauce was my counter. My counter argument to that would be Smoke Shack in town, where they have good barbecue, they have great sides. Yes. Would I rather go to Smoke Shack or Franklin's? Smoke given Shack. the option, I would rather go to Franklin's. Agreed. I, well, but I'm not disappointed when I go to Smoke Shack. I'm just. I think because you know what's going into going to Franklin's. I mean, it's going to be an all day thing. Right. That that for me, it's the trip is fun. The trip is fantastic. The barbecue is good. You know. But, like, realistically, the burnt ends I had at Cooper's are probably just as good as the brisket I had at Franklin's, you know. And there's and there's a, a taste aspect, too. Like, you know, we were, we were talking about, um, you know, the one out there in Sisterdale. Uh, you had gone a couple oh, weeks uh, ago. Blackboard. Blackboard. Blackboard's good. Heavy on the pepper. Heavy yeah. on, the, on the crack pepper. Yeah. Um, and so each one's different. And it reminds me a lot of the stuff with, with you know, with whiskeys. Everyone has their taste. Yeah, and that's part of what it. what they grew yeah. up on. Right? I'm not going to you say know? you're stupid for liking what you like. Right. Unless you say you like Cooper's Injunction. Yeah, and then you're, yeah. Yeah, you probably got to reassess what, yeah. what you think. About <laughs> if you say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're, I mean, they're all, they're all, they're all good. I think it's just going to be dependent on what, what you're looking for, and I think we've all grown up on some different stuff. Well, and everybody likes, you know, some people don't want to wait, so they're just never going to go to a place like Franklin's because no matter what, the wait is going to kill is going to be the killer for them. Yeah. Right? So it's just yeah. like That's what, what – what, They're closed on know. Mondays? Which one? Franklin's? Yeah, I think so. One of those yeah. days. Yeah. Mondays, I think. But still, it's like – but where other ones, I think because of money or wherever the case – I feel like some some places too are kind of like reheating their stuff on those earlier days, right? And then really cranking up the good stuff on the weekend. Oh yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I hate going to some places, and there's a lot of restaurants the same way, like little hole in the wall restaurants, or some of their stuff that they're really known for is not as good earlier in the week than it is on the weekend. Yeah. Um, but again, I I don't know. We're just gonna have to go every day. My and dad, see if yeah. there's a difference in each it's, day. And, yeah, and, and time frame too. Is morning better? Is it? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know, but I know there's. It's, it's just I can't. I, Rudy's. I really like Rudy's sausage, and I really love their barbecue sauce. Their but sauce past yeah. that. I'm like, their brisket. Their brisket. Okay. Their tacos yeah. are good. Their tacos are right. They tacos also have are good. good. Their brisket tacos. Sausage is good. Their sauce is fantastic. Yeah, everything else is kind of like that. Eh. Yeah. All right, boys. Let's move on from. We we talk about barbecue a lot. <laughs> Let's move on. I can't talk about barbecue. <laughs> All right, I'll go first uh, with my article. What do you have this week? Not so neat things in nature. <laughs> Dozens of camels were barred from Saudi beauty contest over Botox. What? <laughs> contest organizers say they will impose strict penalties on manipulators as they well, attempt so to halt all acts of tampering and deception. Are they ta- are they are they adding Botox to their humps? To their lips. A lovely lady hump. Right. Let's find out. Check it out. On their hooves. I can't. Well, first of all, it just they got amazes knees. me that there are camel beauty contests. Why not? I guess we have stock shows. We have here, stock shows, yeah. But you just never think, you know, camel beauty contests. Yeah, camels are beauty in the only way. Um, Full disclosure, don't tell anybody, I did show in 1993 miniature horses at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, and I had the ribbons. Really? Mini horses? Mini What places did you get? Third, a couple of thirds. A <laughs> couple, couple of thirds and a, and a participation. <laughs> <laughs> did you have a favorite? 
I don't remember. It was so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Authorities in Saudi Arabia have launched their biggest ever crackdown on camel beauty contestants that received Botox injections and other artificial touch-ups with, form, uh, with 40 disqualified from the annual pageant. <gasps> 40, 40 of them? 40. Yeah. How many were in the running? Um... I don't know. Okay. It doesn't That's still stay. a lot, though. I mean, That's you're thinking, like, if we're talking about 40, we're busted. Whoa. Okay. So, the investigation kicked off earlier this month. Uh, invites the breeders of the most beautiful camels to compete for $66 million in prize money. Well, it is, it is Saudi Arabia. Right. I mean, the camels made out of, like, oil. I mean, they, they sell license plates for millions of dollars. Maybe they're not real yeah. camels. Maybe they're, like... I don't know, but that's, I mean, we, bre- we breed horses. I mean, those right. guys make a ton of money. But they, and they do camel races and stuff. Yeah, you know? it's got to be a big deal. Botox injections, facelift, and other cosmetic alterations to make the camels more attractive or pro- prohibited. Jurors decide the winner based on the shape of the camel's head, neck, humps, dress, and posture. Dress? Are they putting outfits on these camels? Yeah. Uh, we have a costume. They have a costume uh, uh, part of it. <laughs> that's right. They have a a swimsuit competition (laughs) part of this. Yeah, but but, in a talent, (laughs) right? But would you put it? Where would you put the bottoms at? Would they go like back legs, or would (laughs) all four legs get it? You know, I don't know. We'll have to to go to one, right? I mean, like sixty-six million dollars, right? Yeah, like total prize, or literally like first place with sixty-six million. I think it said and and prizes, so I think it was like. They probably have multiple categories. Yeah, first place might get like ten million. In the yeah, because you you know those are going to be you know put out to the stud and and you know recoup money that way too. Right. Yeah, they didn't say how many compete, but it seems like in Saudi Arabia this is a big deal. They do other types of like camel races and uh, all types of other events. So it's like kind of just like a big a big ordeal. But uh, that forty people had in te- injected Botox and other stuff to oh make their camels look goodness. better. That's a man. That's a lot of money. It is for a camel. Like it just it blows my mind. Yeah, because what's like a grand champion? What's a grand champion steer pull at like Fort Worth? A steer? Steer's one thing. I feel like horse horses horse racing. That, those guys. The horses make. make like millions. Yeah. you know. Well, steer was always like I always remember steers being the biggest. I mean, horses too, but but like, biggest and, draw. The biggest sure draw at right. the rodeos is is. I mean, the they first. do. I feel like at least a mil. I feel yeah. like I've seen one go for. A I feel deer. like it's a million. Yeah, yeah. but on the hor- on the horse, but race, horses are even more than ho- that. like like hundreds of. T- figure out or at least maybe Google uh, what. Let's do steer. Steer uh, versus let's do a steer racing Fort horse. Worth. That's a little bit like the tuna over in Japan, where it's like it's, oh, that it's stuff is crazy. Not like how yeah. much it actually. So okay, all so the fat. And all. It's like not like how much it's worth. It's like it's like an honor to. Buy the first ones; so they pay millions for it, you oh, know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the same way with a steer here, where it's like, it's not necessarily that that cow is worth that much, but that person pays that much to whoever raised it. Guess, yeah. So this was 2020's number. Steer sold for three hundred thousand. Yeah, I mean really? that's on par. Okay, what's what's the what's horse though? Yeah, like Dude. highest paid horse. Because I feel like those... Are we talking about just stock shows? No, just like a just horse a, horse. Racing well, a horse horse, a racing horse is like millions. So why can't... The, I mean, I would... I When Shoot, you're talking about camels... I know, but when you're talking about camels and what they do, I would think that we would be... If we're looking at something comparable, mm-hmm. it would be horse. horse racing. Yeah. I'd say it's got to be like over a mil. See, or 100 it, mil. And see, even when I pull up 
See, even when I pull up horse, it still shows grand champion steer. So, uh, did you spell it correctly? Yeah, no, I felt <laughs> it. I did. I did. <laughs> I did do it correctly. And did that but I think the steer, at least at the stock show, like yeah. when we're talking about showing animals, steer brings the biggest is the yeah, biggest is draw. The biggest, yeah. But yeah. I know what you're saying with like horses. You know, even just to get like, you know, have one of these like race horses mate mm-hmm. with one of your horses, like. Ten, twenty, thirty thousand. You would hope, yeah. You would hope just for uh, yeah, kick out something nice. Bottle bottle of stuff, yeah, yeah. Which a guy has to go in there and jab and hold it, (laughs) right? (laughs) Wonder how much that guy's getting paid. What's your job? He's probably making making close to them. Grab it and put it in there to get whatever the good stuff is. Well, if they're selling it for thirty thousand dollars a pop, and I'm getting a percentage of that. Oh my god. I no, I think the owner gets a percentage. I think the guy who's holding the it gets minimum wage. Yeah, stay <laughs> <laughs> in the U.S. Yeah, I think he gets. Minimum. I actually imagine vets are doing it. Mm-mm. Technically, no. I mean, I'm sure there's a vet that's there, but usually the the hands are you know because it's a whole process. I mean, you, you you they walk this this horse out. Don't ask me how I know, but they walk the <laughs> horse out. You know, and they and they have they have a mare Are there. you telling us about your high school job right hey. now? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's got to be harder on a mini horse, right? <laughs> I, mean, I wasn't I mean, there for that one. I mean, like are you laying down I or sitting on a bucket? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Like you're under a car, is that what it is? <laughs> you got one of the things where you lay down and you roll underneath the mini. <laughs> I got you, bud. I got you. Well, I, you know, I pat the belly. Yeah, I, and I've seen, I've seen some, some. Uh, I saw one video, like uh, it was like TikTok or something, and and they were looking to breed the horse that came, but they didn't do a good job of of keeping the the, 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 the mare. No, the mare's leg down, and um, and so when he when the stud came in, she kicked up. Popped him right in the head, and he's he done. He's dead. The horse, yeah, horse dropped on the floor. He is dead, and it's like, and you, if you watch the other videos of like the proper ones done, man, they're, like they're tied up. They're not necessarily tied up against the wall, but they're they're limited in their movement to because yeah. there's so much money that you're. Oh, yeah, I mean, you know how like trout are like the like the pansies of like the fish world. Oh, imagine if they were like, well, these have Botox in it, and yeah. now <laughs> no, no, but horses are like the pansies of like the mammal world. Like horses die so easily. I, I guess they I do. They just snap their neck. They break a leg. They're done. Yeah, eh, this is true. Yeah, this is true. Well, a horse. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, my dad had one that heavy. that that spooked. Right, my dad had a couple horses, and he never never had luck with them. And it was wearing its harness or its face halter thing. Yeah. And it was running, and it got its head, its harness, got caught on a bolt oh. on the fence, and it kept running, and it snapped its own neck and just died. Oh. <laughs> 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 it's you know it's just bad luck. It's just bad luck. But you know, going yeah. back to studying, I'm interested to know how they do it with the trout. Is there any way, like, hey, we need to get this bigger bulls in here? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah for Texas Parks and Wildlife to like really get these these things, these suckers big. Maybe we should do start doing that. Just keep them keep them at home. Start our own breeding process. Breeding process. Just get all the trout going. <laughs> selling selling our own our own trout. Some big boys. What do they call it? Trout silt. What is that? Trout soap. What silt? Silt. What's it? Oh, well, I don't know. You know what that is. We don't need to explain. Yeah, I don't it. Know. <laughs> 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 All right, Gabe. What do you got for us today? Oh yeah, sorry. Let me bring that up here. Um, 
searching the internet for something cool, and I saw East Texas woman lands 13-pound lunker bass on a last-minute trip to Lake Nacogdoches. Ooh. Yeah, this uh, Kelly Ref- uh, Renfro and her husband didn't have a lot of time, uh, and they, they had you know kids going to baseball games and everything, and they did a last-minute trip, and she was able to knock out a 13.27-pound largemouth from a boat, uh, making her the first woman in almost four years to catch a legacy-class share lunker in Texas. What is le- what's the requirement for legacy class? I, you know, I, I didn't have time to look that up, but I mean, this thing is huge. The girth on this thing is ridiculous. We were looking at uh, the heavy female was twenty six inches long with a twenty three point five inch girth. Um, aside from being Renfro's uh, personal best largemouth, the thirteen point two seven pounder was also the first share lunker of the season in Lake Nacogdoches. So what does it look like? You have a picture? Uh, yeah. It, it, uh, this, is, this is what I hate about social media and all the fun stuff. Because it looks like she has man hands. The fingers look like uh, they're the Hulks because she's shoving it into the picture of the uh, oh, of yeah, the yeah. camera. Yeah, yeah, But, man, that is such <laughs> That's a, a big, big bass. That's like a striper bass with Dude. the size of it. And it's got a pot belly on it. That's yeah. what I always, you know, those bigger bass, and they get that. Big old pot belly, right? Um, on it, um, man, that's just so, that's nuts. Uh, legacy lunker class is thirteen plus pounds. Wow, okay. cool. Uh, legend is fifteen, twelve. They go up or down? Uh, wait. So, legend and legacy are both thirteen pounds. Oh. What is a certain um, girth and size? The elite. Oh my goodness! Is ten pounds and lunker is eight pounds. So what class are the ones that we're catching on the quad? Dinks. Point five. Point five. We have, we should we should name a class for this those. This is cool <laughs> though. So um, you can you can oh uh, don't they give you a map? oh okay so the difference between the legacy and the legend so the legend is a just a 13 is a 13 plus pound bass the legacy is if you catch a 13 plus pound bass and loan it to Texas Parks and Wildlife during the spawn period and support your selective breeding program and you'll be recognized as a member of the legacy class so if you actually turn that bass over to Texas Parks and Wildlife to use for breeding then that bumps you up from legend to legacy. So she's a legacy because she gave it Botox and then gave it to <laughs> Texas Parks and Wildlife. <laughs> and fed um, it steroids. She force-fed it. Force-fed yeah, it. Exactly. Weights. Like, All? With, like with the gut, goose liver, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, Just like papa, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, what is it, potato? <laughs> is it? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Where yeah. They, they 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 literally just shove it down those. those yeah. the, they put the a big funnel down yeah. the throat of the goose, and they shove food in there. Yeah, high fat food to give them a really fatty liver. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's pate. Yeah, you it know? is pate. Yeah, that's pate. Yeah, um, uh, you know. Yeah. So that everything about the food is great. <laughs> this this <laughs> is some good information I'd like to share. Uh-huh. Uh, all confirmed share locker participants will receive a catch kit corresponding with their fish's weight class. Each catch kit includes an achievement decal, merchandise, and other giveaways. Mm-hmm. Plus, everyone who enters will be included in a grand prize drawing to win $5,000 shopping spree and other prizes. And anglers who donate their 13-pound or larger bass for spawning, so the legacy um, uh, level, will be entered in an additional drawing to win $5,000 shopping spree, VIP access, and awards program to the 2020 Toyota Bassmaster Texas Fest and other prizes. So if you guys participate, you can get a decal and potentially win five grand to go shopping. Now, if it was a 
if it was a state record, I thought you got like a free mount as well on on like state water records or something like that. Not on state because I know people who have gotten state records yeah. and they I don't think that they get like a nice like you just know, a plaque. Yeah, a plaque. But uh, this share lunker seems like a, a a different deal. That's cool though. Zach, what do you got for us today? Today, my creature is. The story of the Cadborosaurus, also known as Caddy, right? <clears throat> so a man named Archie Wills is known with calling Caddy and Caddy, right? He's a sea serpent in the regions of the Pacific coast of North America, right? So kind of near where Bristol Bay is. Um, its name is derived from the Cadborough Bay in Greater Victoria, British Columbia. And the Greek word saurus, meaning lizard or reptile. Uh, anyways, uh, is said by witnesses to resemble a serpent with vertical coils or humps that kind of go down. Like, so there's two rows of humps that go down. It has a horse-like head, long neck, small uh, pair of flippers, and either one big giant flipper like a seal or a pair of flippers for its uh, for its hind leg. You know. Oh, okay. So a pair, a pair of big big flippers, or Maybe. I'm sorry, or, or big flippers on both sides. You threw me off when you said. One big flipper, or of big Yeah, flipper. it's like Nemo. Sounds like you just swim in circles? <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's a Nemo. It's a Nemo. Um, so, Dr. Paul LeBlanc, he's the director of Earth and Ocean Sciences at UBC. So he says that there's been a lot of misidentified animals. People think that it could be a conger eel, a humpback whale, elephant seals, a ribbon, or an oarfish. Uh, however... Darren Naish says that LeBlanc doesn't know what he's talking about, and he has bad science. So <laughs> yes. it, is, it is not one of those Wrong. things. Um, <clears throat> in, when do you guys think one of the first sightings of this fish or of this creature was? 1915. Okay. What, where, where, what location is this in? British Columbia. He said what, Landon? 1915. I'm going to go, let's go 16, 1650. Oh, 1943. Oh, I was actually close. So since then, there have been over (laughs) 200 sightings, um, but there's uh, a lot of people see like sea lions, and that typically is the main thing that people see it as. A giant oarfish, a basking shark, a pipefish as well. Um, Some of the first uh, nations actually have stories about this creature. Um, The Inuit of Alaska actually have this creature on their canoes as a way, uh, or they put pictures on their canoes to keep this creature away. Um, in 1968, uh, a man by the last name of Hugland claimed that he caught a baby caddy near the island in the lake, uh, but he returned it to the water. Mm-hmm. And in 1991, uh, Phyllis Harsh claims to have caught a small two-foot caddy and returned it also to the water. If only they had do- donated it to the Sherlocker program. program. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there is some video out there. Um, supposedly, but you can't really see it. Like, I looked for it, and I could not find the video anywhere. Her name is Kelly Nash. So if you find the Kelly Nash video, please send it to us. But, I don't know. Why do we think, why, I'm sure there's a reason for it. Like, I guess better than nothing else to do. You know, a lot of these, like, areas that have large lakes or, or, you know, huge rivers and stuff like that, inlets and and such, why why do we think that always seems to be, like, some type of Loch Ness monster-ish thing in the area. Uh, yeah, it's good. I, I think people like 
fantasy and like to think that that stuff exists. Yeah, but it's but, like you would think there's more chupacabra sightings throughout the U.S., but there's not. It's just down here. You know, but every place has their own, like... Right, like, it, it's kind of like, um, it's like if every place has had some sort of sighting of this creature, yeah. maybe there is something that lives in these deep lakes. Yeah. Because it's like... You would think Mothman would be other places other than right. up in like, just Point one, Pleasant. You yeah, know? just one. It's, but, like, it's kind of like, uh, have you guys ever had, like, sleep paralysis, you know? No. Oh, <laughs> it is terrifying. Let me tell Describe you. It. So Describe sleep, it. Sleep paralysis, scientifically, is technically when you, uh, your mind wakes up from sleep before your body does, right? And so your mind is aware, your eyes are open, you're aware of your surroundings, but your body is still in that safety mode when you sleep. That way you don't actually act out your dreams in your sleep, right? Uh, so your, your body literally goes to like a state of paralysis when you sleep so you don't hurt yourself. Um, but sleep paralysis, your mind wakes up, your body's still in that stage, right? Mm. And um, typically, when people go through this, they see things, like, in the corner, and they all have these same ideas of, like, seeing, like, a tall, dark, slim, like, slender figure in the corner of the room, right? And so everyone, like, I had this in college, and it's due to a lot of, like, anxiety and, like, Wait, you've, this is actually happened. This has happened to me three times in my life, and it is terrifying. I didn't know what it was the first couple How of times. How long does it last for? Uh, it feels like forever. No but joke. <laughs> no, no, no. Ugh. I can imagine that, but so like, okay. So how like, long, like you, realistically? Realistically, probably like thirty seconds, thirty seconds to a minute. Okay. So your mind, mind wakes up, like your eyes are open, and literally you are trying with all your strength to move your body, and you won't move, and it's terrifying. And so then you feel like because you you can't feel your body, you feel like somebody is on you, like holding you down. And you also start seeing things in your room. Oh, no. Right? Nope. It is awful. <laughs> it is <laughs> so, so. this has happened to you three times. It has times happened to me three times in my college. Life, yes. uh, two times in college, one time early adulthood. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. And so when you look at, and I didn't know what it was the first two times I had it. Um, and when you look into it, what's creepy is everybody sees the exact same thing, right? Everyone says about seeing like a tall, skinny, dark, shadowy figure in the corner of the room, and they feel like it's holding them down, right? So everyone says, and that's what's creepy, right? It's like if we're all thinking this and we all see the same thing, what are we really saying, you know? Um, anyways, if this, uh, like I said, a lot of times people who are under a lot of stress, under a lot of anxiety, uh, it'll happen to them. Uh, however, a good way to break it is, because I started doing some research on it. Go back to sleep. <laughs> no, because <laughs> no, you can't. You, you freak can't. out. Um, the best thing to do is instead of trying to move your whole body, tell yourself, I'm having sleep paralysis right now. Try to move your pinky. Just one finger. And typically, once you think about just moving your one finger, that will wake up your whole body and then you can, then you can move. Have you, have you seen or read any of the... Um like trying to control your dreams, so you, you're actually gonna wake yourself up. Oh, at like, like lucid dreaming. Yeah, you're gonna wake yourself up at a certain time. You know, you set your alarm or whatever. You wake up, and as soon as you go back to sleep, you, you're gonna have more of of a, of a chance of being able to at least experience your dream and be involved in your dream. I don't know. Stuff's crazy. Yeah, I know some people who can lucid dream, and it's it oh. seems interesting. Wait, it's an intentional thing that you're doing. Well, there's a well, lucid dreaming is different. Yeah, sleep paralysis. No, 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 no. Nobody should ever. We're all doing that tonight. No, no, I moved on from that. I'm talking about lucid dreaming. So people are intentionally setting up like their sleep cycle, and then you can train yourself to to 
lucid dream. It's you, tough. You have to be within a part of REM or some mm. somewhere in that that waviness of in and out. Because when you're sleeping, my understanding is you're actually kind of kind of not necessarily awake, but you're not in that deep sleep. And you do that throughout the day. I'm sure if you have like a Garmin watch or whatever, it'll show you. And you're you're as you're in those cycles, you're going to wake yourself up out of that cycle. You're yeah, you wake up, but as you go back to sleep, it's in that transition that you have these more in-depth lucid dreams. Lucid so you can kind of control them. Interesting. Or yeah, and be involved more. Oh my god! But stand standing there and being, oh, I'm sleeping with the lights on tonight. No okay. I don't really dream. Really? No. Ever? Have you ever dreamed? I have dreamed. Yeah, but it's very rare. Okay. Whereas McKenna has dreams all the time. Do you dream? When I have a really good dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and I get home with that itis, and I'm just like, mm-hmm, and I'm out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's always, I don't know. It's just, it's just crazy. I, I do at times, but it's not like a consistent thing. Really? But I wake up, and I'm like, I, I was just asleep. I think it's I weird. have pretty vivid dreams. Well, see, I feel like I have I have vivid dreams or something, and it's like, I kind of want to write it down, but, like, as soon as you wake up, 10, 15 minutes later, forget it. Like, you already kind of forgot, like, what, what was going on. Yeah. You know, but has your, has your wife ever had dreams where... She thought you were doing something that you're getting you in trouble. And she wakes up and yeah, yeah oh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. Why? why like that? I didn't do anything. Uh, it was in your dream. Why yeah. am I getting why yelled am at? I <laughs> well, you called my mom fat or something. I didn't. Well, I wasn't there. <laughs> I wasn't there. <laughs> That's what you think I would say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zach. We are going to play another round of fly or ban. Ugh. Yes. Fly or ban. Here okay. we go. So. I'm going to keep this one short so we can play one more time next week because I'm running out. So if anybody has any good fly or band names, I want to message me directly at Zach's Fish Photos on Instagram. But cool. Here we go. Okay. Cow dung. <sighs> Gut check says band. Gut check says fly. Oh, yes, rock, paper, scissors for it. Okay, rock, paper, scissors, here we go. <laughs> no, no. You know, I'm going to take, you know, I took the fall on some last time that you were had the hunch on, so I'm going to take your hunch, Gabe. We'll God. see how this goes. Fly. It is a fly. All right. All right. It is All a right. fly. Oh, my God. Uh, again, because it, now it's like the way you can see what this fly might look like, you can also see what band this might be. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> some punk scob. What do we got? Ugh. Gabe's pacing. He can't sit down. I can't sit day. down during this thing. I get it, get it all get too excited. Get anxious. The answer. Uh, wh- That's a band. It's a band. It's a fly. What? No. <laughs> no. That's- There's no band called The Answer. There's no know. fly called The Answer. Okay. There's probably a band called The Answer, but it also is a fly. A, oh, <laughs> God, I want to. Ah. What is it, though? Like, that's the thing. Like,. Do we have a recipe on what? That's just, is it probably an intruder yeah, fly? Yeah, the answer is a rock band. Well, eh. a Northern Irish hard rock band from Newcastle. I've totally heard of them before. <laughs> 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 Didn't they open up for the weekend the other day? Band, the answer. No, but I could see that. Uh, <sighs> I don't know. I mean, again, we'll go with I'm Look, there's everyone's got a name. I'm sure your neighbors have a band called. That's the answer, fly. Okay, so we're looking. It looks like basically like a like a caddis type fly, or even like a really small um, gold bead head. Yeah, gold bead head. It's got some uh, pheasant tail wings. 
That's the or wrong pheasant, uh, not tail. What are they called? Terrible. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, okay. You guys ready? Yep. Here we go. The Dazzle Babe. Or Dazzle Babe. <sighs> fly. 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 I, <clears throat> fly. Say it again. Dazzle Babe. Dazzle Babe. Yes. One word or two words? Two words. Fly. Fly. It's a band. Oh, come on. It what what too genre? Awkward. What it genre? Sounded, it sounded too awkward we have a genre? to be a band. I, but we had like Scarlet Lady last time. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, the worst. That's the worst. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I saw it. It looked good. I was like, is it, is it a band? Great. Done. Oh, my goodness. Honky Tonk Home Slice. Now we're really getting into it. <laughs> now we're in the thick of it. Thought you were losing your touch there. Honky Tonk. This sounds like a band that Cliff would listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Cliff. Oh, my God. Oh, what is it again? Honky Tonk Home Slice. Home slice. I'm going band. I'm going band. It is a band. God, what was, what was yeah. it? Dale Earnhardt Jr. <laughs> Jr.? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. This is rough. Especially because when you get that, like, list of, list of words, it's like, oh. What do we got? Yeah. This will be the last one for today. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Downy Mildew. <sighs> Downy Mildew? I don't think is it's a band ne- or a fly. I was, say, <laughs> I was literally going to say, is neither an option? I'm going to go with neither. You can't get it wrong if you don't pick it. <laughs> oh, dude. Downy Mildew. Downy. Okay. If it if it was a fly, what do you think it would be? What would you think I it would look like? I don't think it's a fly. I don't think it's a fly either, but it probably is a fly. The fact that we think it's not a fly, it's probably a fly. <laughs> <laughs> with a word like that, with a downy mildew. And I'm trying to read Zach's laugh as well to try to figure out if it is or isn't. Uh, I'll take a sip of rye. Downy. Like, what if it's tied with, like, a downy dryer sheet? <laughs> right? Yeah. You see? You see? Now you're thinking? Now I'm thinking I, I'm thinking it's a band. Let's go band. It is a band. Oh, my God. Thank God. Thank God. All right. Let's see. So, for today, you got Cal Dunn correct. You got the answer wrong. That's terrible. Well, the answer is a band, though. Did we get it wrong? Well, no, I mean, I'll go with Zach as the one presenting <laughs> this, that he is being fair. <laughs> and, indeed, it was a fly. You got Downy Mildew. Correct. God, and that was a rough one. you got Honky Tonk Home Slice. Correct. Honky Tonk. Still, huh. Those first that that when I was listening to today's episode, man, there were some rough ones. Those early man, ones. Those yeah. early ones were rough. Yeah, I gotta find some different. I gotta find some more. Let me. Can I take it over next week? Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I still got. I still got four. Tell you what. You want me to finish at least four, and then uh, you can take over next week. Yeah. 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 Rotate I'll make it this out. good. All right. We keep going. Here we go. Yep. Professor. Yeah, I could see that could be like a dry f- or a wet fly, like an old school wet fly. Yeah, I'm gonna go fly. Agree. It is a fly. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 
Nice. I was going to say, like, that seems like, words like that, like, it kind of is like old school. I could see, like, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But when we start throwing, you know, McFroggy Frogface, what was it? Rat, rat face, rat McDougal. Face McDougal. <laughs> That's where we run into ever. the issues. <laughs> That's where we run into the issues. Lawn smell. Band. Oh, man. Carp, grass, grass carp fly. Uh, I'm going to go it's band. It's called lawn smell? Lawn smell. Band. Gosh, I don't know. I know. I'm, I'm, I know. I, it's I'm not. Going, I'm going. I think I agree band, though. These are harder because they don't sound either way. Yes. <laughs> Where, or at least the other ones could go either way. Yeah. These don't. I'm going to go band. Oh, band. Yeah, band, final answer. It is band. Oh, yeah. Geez. All right. Evan may need to bleep. Second word of this next one. Montreal whore. <laughs> <laughs> Can we phone a friend? Can we phone a friend? <laughs> Can we phone a friend? <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Hey Tom Rosenbach, can you uh, <laughs> let, can we call Tom? Yeah. Hey Tom, yeah. do you have this in the Orvis catalog? I hear there was one back in 1942 <laughs> called Oh. Band. Well, it makes me think. Here's my thought line: Like yeah. the bare naked ladies, right? Yeah. They they started that so they could get people to come to their show. Mm-hmm. Makes me think it's the same thing. But then you have a naked lady fly, which is regionally one of the popular ones for yeah. for white bass. But then this was but it Montreal. This, this was could it? also be if we get in the mind of Kelly Gallup. Yeah, this is this is an it, this is a great contender for a Kelly Gallup fly. Yeah, exactly, a big streamer or or intruder style fly. Yeah. <sighs> Never been to Montreal. Have you guys been to Montreal? Mm-mm. I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm. Go, I'm thinking fly. I'll go fly with you. I, I'll go. Let's go fly. Yeah. Done. Final answer. It is a fly. Oh, yes. Yeah. Hey, we did fly. good this week, Gabe. Yeah, but still, like, I think what was <laughs> the curveball was at least the other ones are like, holy crap, it could be both. These were like, I don't think it's either. Oh, I got a couple more guys. That was rough. Uh oh. Drunk and disorderly. Oh, that's a it's fly. a fly. Yeah, I figured you guys knew that one. Okay. Hey, so yeah, our right. knowledge yeah, finally came in ready. Great. Yeah. Oh. Bacon and eggs. It's a fly. A fly. It is a fly. Yep. It is a fly. Oh, man. Just, ah, those rough, those early ones today were just, mm, they get you. Is that all you got for us? You got one more. Team Magic. Team Magic? It has, it has to be a band. It's got to be a band. Don't tell me that's a fly. I don't even, uh. Team. So, yeah, it, it, the word team, I think, gives it away as a band. Yeah, band. It is a band. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. Yeah. Because at least with a Montreal horror. Because unless like, it's like an Ala- <laughs> unless it's like, what is it, an Alabama rig where you got a bunch of flies, it couldn't be a team. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's that it? it. That's it. Okay, that's it. we mopped the floor this week, Gabe. We did good, but still, well. still, it's well. still kind of rough. Still, man, like there were some hard ones. Thank you, Zach. Those were some rough ones. Yeah, I'll come in next week. Okay. Yeah, I'll. I'll. You guys can with Zach's band knowledge and Gabe's fly knowledge. Yeah, maybe we can. Yeah, because I know some of these bands that you guys didn't know. Like I've heard them before. Yeah, I'm gonna. Ideal like, Earnhardt Junior. Junior is a pretty popular band in the indie scene. I, no idea. <laughs> no I'm going to hit up every gas station this week for SoundCloud <laughs> artists. Like, I'm going to pick up mixtapes. Hey, what's your band name? You know, just start. <laughs> what's your band name? Get a free mixtape. On the and street. 
I'm going to ask if we can play his mixtape on our podcast, too. You know? Just and we can have some new intro music. Put it on a flash drive or a CD. Don't put it in your computer. I mean, I feel like with some of these, <laughs> these bands that you have called out, I'm sure we could give them like five bucks and we have rights to like one of their songs <laughs> for our intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, thanks for listening to the uh, pre-show. And we're going to move into our interview with Pat Dorsey at the Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival. Pat's an awesome guy, super nice, and is an expert at tailwaters. He's written multiple books. And if you guys fish the Guad, he has a wealth of knowledge, and you probably heard him speak at Trout Fest because he was there as well. Yep. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview, and we'll catch y'all next week. This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it from now through June on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head-to-head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through the pain is the name of the game. With so much edge-of-your-seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your jersey. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs now on TNT and CBS. This episode is brought to you by HP. When you're working apart from your team, feeling connected can be a challenge. Presenting HP Presence, a more thoughtful, human collaboration technology. With enhanced audio and video features, you can experience more genuine collaboration and feel more connected. Be in the room, from any room, with HP Presence. Learn more at hp.com forward slash presence. Hey guys, <laughs> welcome to another episode of uh, Honey Hole Hangout. We have a great guest for y'all today. We are sitting with Pat Dorsey at the Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival. You guys probably know Pat because he's written a couple books, and he is a, a fly fishing guide and I would say tailwater expert. So for all of our local listener, listeners that like to fish the Guad, uh, you guys probably met him at Trout Fest last weekend, but uh, Pat is a, is a tailwater pro, and we're excited to have him on the show today. Oh, yeah. Welcome, Pat. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, will you start us off by telling us um, like where you're located in Colorado, and, and and tell us about your fishery. We're uh, we're we're fortunate to be in the in the front range of Denver, and our fly shop is uh, thirty miles west of Denver. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Blue Claw Angler. We've been in business for thirty five years. Oh, awesome! A- and, uh, did you start? Did you start Blue Quill Angler thirty five years ago? I did not. I came on board in nineteen ninety two. Okay. And uh, Jim Cannon and Mark Harrington owned it back then, and I just was a guide, and then I got a chance to to buy in in, in two thousand one. So okay. Uh, my partner's Dennis Steinbeck. And Chris is over at the booth, so Chris and Dennis are a huge uh, component to the store, and um, and I'm I'm along for the ride as well. That's awesome. Okay, that's awesome. So you started in 1992. You're uh, of my birth. Yeah, you're of my <laughs> birth as well. <laughs> Not to like date anybody, but uh, I'm turning 30 this year. I'm, I'm dealing. I'm I'm dealing with things on my own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, that makes me feel kind of old. I'm like, I, actually, I am getting old, but. Uh, <laughs> We're, uh, you know, we're so fortunate to, to live in Denver because we have the South Platte and it, yeah. we can fish, you know, year round. Yeah. And that's, that's the beautiful thing of a tailwater fishery. And, uh, yeah, we had a great time last weekend at the Trout Fest and oh, yeah. got a chance to fish the, the Guadalupe and, 
you know, I mean, I, I always talk about a tailwater being a tailwater, and it's, it's always fun to visit a different one. So, uh, Let me ask you this. Is the Guadalupe uh, different? Do you approach it differently than you do maybe your home tailwater? Absolutely. It's, it's definitely, um, you know, I always say tailwaters have their own nuances, and, and the guad is definitely a, a different fishery for several different reasons, but definitely. it's uh, um, just fun to fish it. It's, it's enjoyable. It's always fun to see something that you don't get a chance to fish, yep. you know, every, every week or every year or whatever, so... Yeah, that's awesome. So, will you tell us about the the plat and uh, you know what 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 would a day of fishing look like for you guys going out on the water? We we specialize in the Deckers and Cheeseman Canyon area, so that's about an hour south of Denver. And we the Deckers is uh, they're both walkway trips. Deckers is a little easier accessible. Uh, Cheeseman is my favorite place to go, but it's a hike in fishery, so you're gonna put all your and your, it's in a canyon. It's in a canyon, so you're hiking down into it a is. canyon. Yeah, it's it's one of the most rugged, beautiful canyons. I think anywhere in the South Platte corridor, and it's uh, been catch and release since the early '70s. And really, it's a self-sustaining population of rainbows and browns, about oh. five thousand fish per mile. So wow, it's, okay. It, okay, it's, it's yeah. a very, very impressive fishery. It's it's one of those if you haven't fished it, you you really should come see it for yourself. What does the hike into it uh, like look like? As little as uh, twenty five minutes on the lower end, and as much as two hours to get to the upper end. Um, you know. Where I go, generally, hour and 20 minutes, hour and 30 minutes, just to get myself up away from some of the crowds. You can also come in from the dam and hike down. It's a little bit more of a difficult hike coming in. The train's a little bit steeper and just a little bit overall yeah. more challenging. Yeah. Well, it keeps you in shape, then, is, is what it sounds like. <laughs> it does. It, uh, it's, it's, it definitely keeps you in shape. I mean, there's some days I'm walking six, seven, eight miles a day, so yeah. it, 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 I need that. Yeah. Yeah. So talking about tailwaters, what are some unique characteristics about tailwaters that make them different than other fisheries? And let me let me start by saying this. Any of our listeners that don't know what a tailwater is, say, yeah. a tailwater is, you know, a section of river or a river that is uh, fed by dam release. Exactly. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of variables, you know, some tailwaters are um, top release, some are bottom release. And, you know, the deeper the, the reservoir, the colder the, the water uh, as a general rule, just small bugs. You know, when you think about a tailwater fishery, you're fishing, you know, 18s and smaller. Why is that? Why do tailwaters yeah. are? Why are they known as small bugs? <coughs> why not? Why not the the larger stoneflies and and bigger bugs? Well, in, typically, the closer to the dam you are, the, the smaller the aquatic life because of the colder water. So, you see, you know, mainly midges and mayflies close to the dam, and then as you move downstream, the aquatic life becomes bigger and more diversified, and you will start to pick up some, you know, golden stoneflies and some caddis, and even in some cases, we'll see some giant stoneflies, the Terranarsis in some of our tail races, too, so, um, you know, the further you move away from the dam, the more it starts to resemble a freestone stream. Okay. Um, so, uh, let's talk about uh, what, what, when you take someone out fishing, um, what kind of techniques are you using? And uh, how are you approaching fishing a tailwater? You know, I like, I like everybody and encourage everybody to be well-rounded. Mm-hmm. So, you know, throw nymphs, throw drives, throw streamers. But the fact of the matter is you're going you're gonna to be nymph fishing, you know, 90% of the time yeah. on a tailwater fishery. I think most of us understand that. And um, So, you know, you, you have to become pretty proficient, you know, at the small fly game. You know, a lot of small bugs, a lot of light tippets. A lot of sight fishing. Yeah. Are you guys using indicators or are you guys doing uh, like Euro, Euro nymphing? We, we do. We do a combination of both. I mean, okay. we, we have 22 guides on our staffs and we have uh, some guides. You guys that, have 22 guides? We have a lot of guides. Oh, you guys are busy then. Yeah. We're pretty busy, you know. And so, <laughs> um, but we have some guys that, you know, specialize in the Euro game. And I'm an indicator guy myself, so I just do a lot of suspension nymphing. 
Um, just re- really enjoy difficult trout, you know, sight fishing with tiny bugs. And, and uh, we do have plenty of opportunities with dry flies, too. We've got some, you know, olives, some PMDs, pretty good caddis, and the trico hatches, and you then know, one of my favorites. Oh, tricos. And the, I, I fish a trico hatch one time in Montana, and, like, like 20, size 22 dry flies. And I, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was like, it was a whole different, yeah. like, couldn't see the fly, struggled with that. I did catch some fish, but... It, it was real challenging. It definitely tested, tested my abilities as an angler, for sure. Yeah, I, I think the trico hatch will bring the best out of any, you know, dry fly enthusiast. We call <laughs> it the white wing curse, you know. It's a, <laughs> little tiny bugs and 7X tippets, like you said, and it's, it's challenging fishing, but it's uh, pretty rewarding as well. Yeah. Are you guys getting, like, real big fish? I know the, kind of the quad's known for having some real, some real big fish and some other tailwaters have just, uh, just huge Huge trout. Are you you guys have real big people going out there to chase big big fish? We have some opportunities to catch some bigger fish in, in certain sections of the South Platte, particularly like the Dream Stream, which is out in South Park. So we have a section that's between Spinney Reservoir and Eleven Mile Reservoir. Yep. So that adds the migratory component to it. So you've got lake fish that are moving up into the system to spawn. So that's that's when you do have a distinct possibility catching some bigger fish. Okay. So if you're looking for that migratory component, that that's the, that. And then, you know, where I guide at Deckers and Cheeseman, it's more of a, a resident population. And we do see some fish over 20 inches, but, you know, the average fish are 14 to 18 inches and uh, rainbows and brown trout. You have uh, a, a fairly decent population of brown trout in Cheeseman, but a, a much better uh, population of brown trout you know, down at Deckers because the water's a little bit warmer down okay. there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, what uh, I have a question. What you do a lot of uh, suspension nymphing. So what what are your favorite indicators to use? Because that's a big thing that's that I get asked all the. It's like a point of contention. <laughs> yeah. uh, what What do you think is the most effective, um, or, or what is your preference? We're we're big fans of a yarn indicator. Okay. Uh, just simply because it, the sensitivity that it gives you, uh, particularly in slower water. I mean, in faster currents, everything happens faster, and, and it's it's much easier to determine you've had a strike. You know. Uh, but we're just we're a big fan of the yarn. It, okay. It, it just really, it, particularly in some of the slower spots, um, it just it just helps you stack the odds in your favor. So yeah. are, you, are you gunking it up when you put it on, and then every now and then just kind of adding like dry fly powder to it, or do you not need it to apply anything? We just we we just uh, frizz it out with okay. a little tool that we we have that's uh, it's got the male end of the Velcro on it, so it's got kind of like a little brush, uh-huh. and we just frizz it out, and then we just put some Laquel on it, so just a paste floating. Yeah. Nice. And usually, if you put it on one time, it, it lasts for the majority of the day, and um, you know every now and then you got to re- redress it and refluff yeah. it, but for the most part, it works good. It's easy to adjust. Um, you know, I, I still carry some bobber type indicators just in case if you you know get. Uh, situations where you have heavy wind or something like that yeah you know, a little bit easier yeah As i've never actually fished a yarn indicator i don't know why i think i mean i guess for the the lower god yeah i've always fished like always i, I fish some yarn indicators and i like them because like pat said you get more sensitivity but it always seems like you know on the quad i you know they seem to get sunk with the weight that i'm fishing yeah, and right. so i find that to be kind of like annoying (laughs) yeah i'll just say annoying and so like i usually end up putting like on a bobber style indicator the other thing is some of the yarn indicators i don't know which one you guys are using pat but some of the yarn indicators have been like difficult for me to adjust length and when i'm fishing the quad specifically i'm like constantly changing depth to like try to find that perfect level and some of those like twistable um 
a bobber indicator. Just make it real easy to like move my indicator up and down. Um, but I, I I do like yarn, and they are more like Pat said. They're more sensitive for sure. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. We we uh, we attach our yarn with a little orthodontic rubber band, so uh-huh. we can move it up and down real oh, easily. Okay. So it, it doesn't foul up your leader. So. You know, you can adjust it. Typically, keep it one and a half to two times the depth of the current and right. move it a lot. And, you know, I, I, as far as the indicator and the weight is concerned, I'll, I'll adjust my weight and my indicator ten times more than I do my flies. Yeah. I think a lot of people have a tendency to outthink themselves with regard to flies. They're constantly changing flies when uh, success usually is just sometimes just adding a little bit more weight yeah. or moving the indicator up or a little down or, or whatever. But that, I would that's agree with that. I, I barely change my flies. No. I'm always tinkering with indicator depth. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't like changing flies. I will fish, I think, sometimes to a detriment, fish a fly to death. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, well, there's some patterns you're just like, I, they can't be that much different if yeah. I change it to this I, d- I always feel like in my mind, if I can get my fly in front of the fish, he's got to eat. Yeah. He's got to eat, if, especially these tiny, tiny bugs. He's got to eat a thousand of these things, right. and so, you know, eventually, if <laughs> it's right in front of him, he's not going to turn it down. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Pat, talk about your fly tying because you like to. I was I walked by your booth there, and you were tying some pretty tiny bugs, twenty uh, twos. Oh man. 20, 22, 24. How do you tie those flies? You know, just for us, you know, heavy. Mi- I was going to say heavy uh, magnification. I, I do wear cheaters. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, I'm, I'm not as young as I once was. But, you know, we fish a lot of small bugs. You know, 18 is kind of a starting point, and uh, 20 is more normal. And then dead of winter, 22s, 24s are pretty common. Yeah. So uh, particularly during the midges, um, you know, we, we just have to fish a lot of small bugs and a lot of 6X tippet. And it's just, it's just what we do. It's just the, the small fly game. And I enjoy fly tying. It keeps me connected to the sport. And I tie a ton of flies. And I tie as many as I used to. I tie, used to tie commercial in, in, you know, big numbers. But I tie enough now to keep my bike guide boxes full. And just for personal satisfaction. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are some – so we, we kind of have this thing called the 1% rule. We didn't come up with the idea, but we talked about we applied it to fly fishing. Yeah. And the one percent rule is uh, basically if you can do something that is going to increase your odds of catching a fish by at least one percent, then it's worth applying to your game. So what things? What are some things in tailwater fishing specifically that either people don't know or people aren't doing that would be considered something that they need to be doing to improve their odds of catching fish? You know, I think uh, one of the most important things is. is you know, sight fishing in conjunction with identifying a feeding fish. You know, you know, if you see the fish and, and he's, you know, showing some signs that he's feeding, maybe suspended, and you see some opening mouths and stuff like that. You know, catching a feeding fish isn't difficult, but trying to fool a fish that's nailed down to the substrate that's showing no suns of life at all, that's non-feeding, is, is kind of a, it's a waste of time. Yeah. So, you know, concentrate your efforts on, on feeding fish. And then, uh, you know, just a lot of the little nuances, like we talked about, with regard maybe fishing smaller tippets than the average guy, fishing smaller flies than the average guy, adjusting your weight and indicator you know, frequently. You know, those, that's a, a lot of little things add up to big things in the tailwater game. So um, going off of that, um, you mentioned – what was he saying? Well, I have a question while okay, you think okay. about that. Yeah. So you mentioned identifying feeding fish. That's what it was. Um, okay. It sounds like you have really good sight fishing opportunities if you're able to see a lot of – potentially see the fish that you're targeting – um, a lot of people have a hard time seeing fish in the water. So do you have some tips to help them identify a fish? And then 
what characteristics are you seeing in a feeding fish that people should be looking yeah, for? That's what my question was, was how do you identify the feeding fish? You know, it, success really starts by, you know, looking in the right place to begin, you know, with. So looking transitional zones, um, riffles, areas that you would expect to find a feeding fish mm -hmm. and kind of staying away from some of the deeper, slower pools. You know, they, you got a hydraulic challenge there. And the slower water, the fish just have way too long of a, you know, inspection time, so to speak. I like faster riffles, runs, you know, everything happens faster. The fish have to make up their mind quicker. So, that, you know, that's, that's one thing that, that I feel is important. And then uh, to, to circle back around, you know, the thing is, is, is a lot of times you'll see fish, but if they're just kind of nailed down to the stream bottom, if they're not doing anything, then it's safe to assume they're not feeding. But if you see a fish that's suspended mid-column and he's moving to the right a little bit, a little bit to the left, you see maybe a flash or a lift or an opening mouth, then it's safe to assume they're eating. Okay. No, that's good. I think it's hard. I think people have a real hard time identifying fish and I know, or seeing fish in the water. I know water clarity has a big big role to play in that. It sounds like you guys have pretty good, pretty, water, pretty good water clarity where you're fishing. We do. You know, it's particularly... At well, most sections of the South Platte, sight fishing is huge advantage, and it's not uh, a skill that's easy. It takes some practice, and it's an acquired skill that you, you learn to see the fish, you know. And a lot of times people say, well, my gosh, I can't see that fish. And I said, well, Mother Nature intended it that way. You know, I mean, these fish are real sensitive to overhead threats, and they sit in areas that aren't always the easiest for an angler to find those fish. So yeah. it just takes some practice, and uh, obviously having a good pair of polarized glasses and and just, just working, working through it, just getting, you know, practicing. Yeah. And the more you do something, the better you're going to get at it, just exactly. like anything else. Uh, what are some of your favorite um, uh, uh, tailwater flies to fish? You know, uh, I've been fortunate. I've, I've designed a few flies, and I, I kind of rely, you know, rely on those. Um, like the Black Beauty, the Top Secret Midge, those are a couple of my, you know, go-to midge patterns. So I use a lot of those. But I use a lot of just... Standard, you know, stuff like Charlie Craven's Juju Betas and Shane Stalkup's Stalkup Betas and, and pretty traditional. I, I like Elker Caddis. Yeah. And just scuds. Can't go and, wrong with Elker Caddis. Yeah, I mean, uh, faith and confidence in, in your fly selection is a huge part of success as well. Yeah. Yeah. And like we talked about, you know, just I think a lot of people outthink themselves with regard to flies. You know, they're constantly changing. And instead of putting something on that you have confidence and faith in and fishing it hard. Yeah. Um, what are your favorite uh, types of rods to use for nymphing? Nine foot five weight. Okay, mm -hmm. as a general rule, I, uh, for most nymphing, and then you know, like a nine foot four for dry fly applications, and then a nine foot six works well for windy conditions, and then streamers. Do you guys fish a lot of streamers in your fisheries? Depends upon the tailwater. We have some like the Williams Fork, um, and some of the freestones that we guide on. We we do fish some streamers, although it's not you know. Uh, all day occurrence or everyday occurrence it, it it you know there's times when fishing slow and you got to think outside the box and uh, it's it's always good to have uh, you know good box of streamers and be ready to go on that but there are times you know in fall when we're targeting some brown trout yeah it, it can be a pretty deadly tactic yeah awesome what um so are you from colorado yep born and raised i uh i born and raised in littleton colorado and caught my first fish in the gunnison valley with my dad and my dad was a school teacher and very passionate about fishing, so yeah, um, I just uh, started my 30th year of guiding. Nice. So it's um, it's been it's been a fun career for me, and uh, written four books and just got my fifth one done. So you know, I, it's just been it's been it's been 
just really fun. And, yeah. You know. What did your dad dad teach? He was a U.S. history teacher. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. And my mom was my mom was a teacher as well, and so. You know, what it afforded was was the opportunity to fish with my dad a lot during the summer. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, fishing, you know, with my grandfather and my dad, it was just kind of what we did. You know, vacations revolved around it. And, you know, yeah. now uh, Kim and I have five kids and uh, my son Forrest, he's he's in the business as well. And he works for Hunter Banks back on the East Coast in, in Asheville uh-huh. in big commercial tire. But, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, my wife and I do a lot of destination travel stuff. We just enjoy fishing. It's just it's the core of what we do, and, and uh, we just love it. Yeah. Okay, so what do you love about the, your home waters? The South Platte is just uh, super technical. <laughs> you know, there, there's a common belief that if you can catch fish on the South Platte, then you can probably catch fish anywhere. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, one of the most technically challenging, humbling tout streams anywhere. And if you can master the South Platte, I think, you know, fishing is just a little bit easier everywhere else. Let yeah. me like, dig into that a little bit more. Why do you think that the South Platte is one of the most challenging ch- challenging trout streams? What makes it more challenging than, say, than, than another tailwater fishery? You know, it's, uh, it's a heavily pressured trout stream. You know, very clear water, uh, wild trout. Yeah. Um, it, you know, small aquatic life. And, you know, Cheeseman has always been kind of Augusta from the Blue Tees. You know, it's just a real difficult, you can't make mistakes. You know, it, it, the water is super clear. And so it's, it's kind of like almost a Spring Creek environment. But, it, you know, for me, it's just I, I, I grew up fishing it. You know, it, it's, it, I don't go into it on a day-to-day basis saying, you know, these are some of the most difficult trout in the West to fool. I just, I learned how to catch them. You know, it's just, yeah. when you're yeah. growing up as a boy, you just say, I got to go fishing. I got to learn how to fool these guys. Yeah, yeah. you got to learn how to fish your home waters. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, home river is pretty special. And then, you know, you learn all all these things on your home river, and you learn a lot more by not catching fish than you do catching fish. <laughs> Every <sometimes>. day. <laughs> and so, you know, it's really, uh, it's taught me, you know, about a lot about myself and, and as an angler, and I've been able to, you know, take that and, and apply it on other, you know, tailwaters throughout the United States. Yeah. What, uh, what's your most memorable fish that you've caught? And then uh, what's the most memorable fish that you have guided a client on? Um, boy, that's a tough one. I've had a lot of experiences. Uh, I think, you know, probably if we just say what's my most memorable experience, I would say, uh, you know, my wife and I got married in my drift boat. Did you really? really? Uh, in our waders. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. That's pretty, that's pretty. What a legend. Top, <laughs> top to beat that yeah. one. Yeah. That's pretty great, yeah. But that was cool. But, you know, we just, you know, having my kids and just family and fishing and stuff like that and our travels. And there's been a lot of special moments. You know, I, it's so hard to pinpoint, you know, pinpoint yeah. whatever would yeah. be special. They're all special in so many yeah. different ways. Yeah. So. yeah. Okay, so, um, do, so do you. Do you only fish for trout, or do you fish for other species as well? On your like on your personal time, I uh, I I like I like fishing in the South Platte. You know, on my on my days off, usually you know my son Forrest and um, my daughter Nicole and my wife. But you know, I I uh, when I come down to Texas here and you know visit Chris Johnson, you know a lot of times, and then I bass fish with him yeah. and so so when I go places, I I I, I try to you know embrace what the local area is about and yeah so i i've i've done some bass fishing not a lot of bass fishing but i enjoy it and, yeah and um I've, I've gone to brazil and done some peacock bass fishing oh that's so awesome. um you know i mean I, I i i love i love fishing i i no matter you know where it is 
I just I enjoy you know catching it, targeting it on a fly is real fun. Yeah, peacock. That's my dream trip is the Brazil peacock bass trip. Yeah, that's like that's like yeah number one for me. I'd is love it? To. Yeah, dude, that'd be great. It's a hoot. It's a hoot. You know, um, we're going back down in November and and uh, it, it's they man they pull they pull like an ox. So what are you throwing for those? Just big bait fish. Yeah, you know, just big, just big EP bait fish and and. Um, it's the grab is pretty pretty amazing and the fight is even more so. Yeah, uh, if you don't mind, who you who do you go down there with? Nomadic Waters, okay. right down the road, okay. right yeah. over here. On, and uh, yeah, that's Michael Williams' operation. And I've uh, known Michael for thirty some years. We used to guide together in Colorado. And uh, yeah, he's if you're looking for a, you know great experience, uh, Nomadic Waters is it, it's really good stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. Are there any conservation issues that you guys are seeing uh, pop up in your home waters that you know uh, that are going to be a pro or a problem now or going to be a problem in the future? You know, I mean, conservation is is always important, and you know, for for a guide, you always want to be a steward of the environment. And you know, we face a lot of challenges. Um, water's one. You know, it's just you know the ep- economic um, importance of, of water versus the fishery itself, and and so. Um, it, it, it's just there's it so many things that to think about, but um, and know, it seems it seems like Colorado, Montana, you know, water just having water it seems like the biggest issue. Like, it is. like access to water, not not even just access, but like flow release mm-hmm. um, and making sure that there's water for the fish or yeah. enough water for the fish to thrive. Yeah. And there's so many hands in that pot. You know, agriculture's pulling water. You know, or they need to have so much water in reserve so people actually have drinking water. Yeah. And there's like ten hands in the pot, and uh, it's 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 a hard line to balance to make sure that everybody's getting what they need to to do what they do. But you you would say that's your biggest. Are you guys seeing lower water, um, or is it just kind of a year to year basis? One year you might have really great water, one year you might have high water, next year might be low water, and that just kind of creates its own challenge in and of itself. It does, you know. Um this year, we're, our snowpack's about 100%, so we're going into our two snowiest months, you know, March and April, so I would say things look pretty good, but, you know, the thing is, is like you just said, downstream demand, you know, so, uh, you know, if you get a drought, if you get a low-pack year, and, and, you know, the city still needs their water, the golf courses still need their water, right. the farmers still need their water, so um, that's the challenge, you know, and we just hope that we can, you know, get an adequate snowpack, and adequate rain, and that, that that's so important especially with a with a growing city like you know denver yeah so um that that's that's a huge challenge is making sure that you know we have the resource for for our fish and then um you know on a smaller note just you know what you can do as an individual angler you know by protecting the resource you know wetting your hands before you handle fish and pinching down barbs and you know always good adequate and just you know teaching kids they're the future of our sport and just teaching them you know how to do things right yeah uh, what age did you start teaching your kids how to fly fish? I had them out there seven, eight years old. Okay. You know, yeah. yeah. That seems to be the running number right around seven, yeah. eight. Yeah. You know, when they're young, you know, you just got to, you know, you take hot chocolate and peanut butter jelly sandwiches and go fish for three, four hours and, you know, just make sure they're having a good time. Yeah. And, and then yeah. maybe if that means half your fishing trip, it means hanging yeah. out, looking at bugs and rocks on the Yeah. I think that's do. what a lot of people have said is like, you take kids out, you know, it can't all be about the fishing. You're going to have to look at bugs and like swim and play in the water and you have to provide all of that. And then, you know, catch a couple fish and make it a whole know, experience you know, where it's not just like all we all we did was stand with <laughs> looking at indicators <laughs> all day long. Uh, yeah, gotta make it fun. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, Pat, have you had any cool wildlife encounters uh, while you're out on the water? You know, I, I've seen uh, I've seen some bears. I've seen some. You know, I, probably the the bears are probably the the coolest thing. You know, I mean, from we see black bear in Colorado, but yeah, I was say because uh, there's not really that many grizzlies in Colorado, right? No, we don't yeah. have we don't have just black bear. Um, but you'll you'll see them from time to time, and you know you see all kind just all the normal stuff too. You know, every now and then you'll come across a, a moose, and you never want to come across a, a you know a, a cow and a calf. You know, that's that's never good. They say they're more dangerous than bears. I was going to ask yeah. which yeah. one would you be more afraid of seeing a, a moose, you know, cow and a calf, or a, you know, a black bear. We see a cow. lot of moose. I mean, we have a, a, an increasing population, particularly over on the Colorado and Williams Fork. So uh-huh. it's you got to kind of keep your wits about you, you know, around there, but. You know, in Alaska, I've had some some cool experiences with bears and stuff. So, yeah. um, you know, it's all part of it. Yeah, I, I, I like to take it all in, and those all add to the experience, in, in my opinion. Do you guys bring bear spray with you when you go out? We don't. Yeah, we, I figured being black bear country, you didn't know. No, and it's, you know, you don't see a lot of bear, but, you know, you just the potential is there. So you just have to kind of yeah. make sure that you're always paying attention. So my wife and I were in Montana last summer and we get the first case, like the bear, you know, scaries of like actually kind of like working ourselves up before we went out in Yellowstone. Like, Oh man, we're going to run into a grizzly when we're out there. We've got to make sure we're prepared. Yeah. And then you're going to end up being on one of those, uh, you know, dummies of Yellowstone videos, you know, people like trying to pet a bear or oh, yeah. like feed a Buffalo no. and getting launched into the air. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't want to be on, you, do <laughs> you don't want to be, be there. No. Um, Pat, do you have so? What do you do to get away from the sport? So it sounds like you're working in a fly shop. You're guiding. You're tying flies. You're fishing you, on your own. You're fishing on your own. You're coming out here and giving presentations. What What do you like to do other than fly fishing and, and spend your free time? You know, I I don't really do a whole lot other than fish. You know, I, when you're guiding, you don't get a fish. So a lot of times, I just treasure the opportunity to go fishing on my own. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm real passionate about photography. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I enjoy just working around the house, too. My wife and I like to garden, and, and um, it's kind of crazy. My neighbors all give me, you know, some grief about mowing my lawn, you know, and, I, and sometimes it's just like me and the lawnmower, you know, and I just like, I kind of, that's how I kind of get away from it sometimes is, but really my, my life is really centered around fishing and, you know, I love the, the travel and stuff, and, and, I, and I love this time of year, too. You know, this is our sixth trade show in a row, uh, weekend-wise. So. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I talked to uh, three clubs in addition to that over the last six weeks. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a time of year where we're doing a lot of traveling and, and you know, sharing our passion. You know, yeah. that's, that's what I like to do. So I really don't – I can't play golf anymore. I used to enjoy golf, but can't do that because i got a bad back. And so it, it's pretty much time flies and photography and fishing. That's yeah. That's awesome. What um, – uh, will you tell us about your, your newest book coming out? Yeah, it's a, it's a cool project. It's called uh, Favorite Flies for Colorado, and it's uh, 50 flies from the local experts. So um, Denver is a really a, a hotbed for, for really good fly tires. I mean, obviously, you got Charlie Craven, and the list goes on, you know. And But so, uh, you know, I got a pattern from John Barr. You know, I got a pattern from Charlie Craven. I got one from Rim Chung. I got one from, you know, Filawani and and uh, it just so I, what I did is I, I got a fly from all of these um, iconic fly tires and uh, why they designed the fly, how they fish the fly. So we took a um, a really nice uh, macro photography, you know, of all the flies and uh, put the recipe in there and just. 
kind of talk about how to fish it. And is it like a fly tying guidebook where people can like learn how to tie the fly, or is it just like information and materials and you know uh, what instances would or like all a deep the above? Dive about each individual yeah. fly, you know, because that sounds like a great sounds like a great idea. Yeah, it's just there's only going to be uh, there's you know a picture of the fly and the recipe, and so it's not a step by step tutorial, mm, yeah. but it's it's more so of just the fly and why it was designed and how to fish it and and um it most of the flies are, are tied by the original designer so cool. you know i've got a meat whistle from john barr and I've oh got that's awesome baby ganga from charlie craven and you know so um it's it's pretty cool because i'll have all the original patterns by the designer of the fly yeah and uh, i'm gonna probably you know do some sort of a, like a shadow box for my son forrest i think that'll be cool to have all those originals you know oh, that's, that's, that's so awesome neat. yeah that's meat, a great idea meat whistle's been my favorite fly for a few years yeah now. you caught your biggest bass on a meat whistle yeah yeah chartreuse meat whistle i love that thing and then i lost it in a pond so yeah i hooked it to a log oh yeah my biggest bass in texas on a olive meat whistle so, oh yeah yeah, yeah. something so, about them there you go guys yeah. they're great it's settled <laughs> It's settled <laughs> meat whistle. <laughs> All day long. <laughs> it's a good bug. It is. So uh, will you talk about your other books as well? Because, and, I, and I'll kind of start the conversation as your book, uh, Fly Fishing Tailwaters. When I first started uh, fly fishing the Guadalupe, I had no clue what I was doing. I had like bass fished, you know, just some basic. And I was real green. And so I saw that book for some. I was like, this is going to be a great opportunity for me to like kind of get a fast track education on fly fishing tailwaters. And I already told you, but I meant to bring it so you could sign it because that was like my <laughs> first fishing book that like I deep Inspired dove into. You. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was going to have you sign it, but I forgot to bring it with me. Um, uh, but will you talk about uh, some of the other books you've written as well in case people are interested? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I wrote a book on the South Platte. So it's kind of, you know, how to fish the South Platte from the headwaters all the way to the city of Denver. And that was that was the first book that I wrote, and then I just revised that project uh, a couple of years ago. So it's it's got a fresh look and maps, and you know, it. I think it's uh, it was a fun project. And then um, another book called Colorado Guide Flies, and uh, I, I I got to fish with what I consider the best guides in the state, and you know, just they were kind enough to share you know a lot of their flies that they use to put the clients on day to day. Fish and then uh, a lot of strategies that they use as well. Is so. Matt Bennett's fly one of his flies in that book? Matt Bennett, yeah, Matt Bennett the, flies in there. The uh, lunch money. The lunch money. Yep. Yep. And and uh, Chris Johnson's got some flies in there too. Um, you know, and those two guys have. Uh, uh, you know, I miss Matt. You know, now that he's back in Louisiana. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and Chris, you know, I, we become good friends over the years as well. So, but um, yeah, I've got um, you know just a bunch of good information from you know really solid guides and then the tailwater book you mentioned uh then i and i wrote a uh, tying and fishing tailwater fly so that was kind of a companion to the tailwater book it's got uh, 25 step-by-step tutorials in there on how to tie some of my favorite tailwater flies yeah awesome uh pat is there anything else that you want to uh that you want to mention or or, or talk about no i just appreciate uh you having me on? Yeah, yeah cool. we, Thank you for being here. This is great. Yeah. I, you, do you have any questions for us? <laughs> no, I guys, like asking that question. <laughs> Those people on the spot. Yeah. Make them feel weird. <laughs> yeah, I, think you guys, uh, I think you guys have this pretty figured out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Pat. We Thanks. appreciate yeah, that. This yeah, is cool, man, yeah. to see uh, see how this is all done. And Yeah, it, it's fun. Yeah, we're excited to get this out there. Oh, and yeah. 
you know, we, we both work regular jobs. This is a way for us to, like, stay connected and stay and meet people, and it's, it's been really cool. Oh, yeah. And, like, man, we really appreciate Like, most people just like you, you know, I, I, I caught you for a second at Trout Fest. Like, hey, I know you're going to be there this weekend. We're busy this weekend, but will you sit down and record? And everyone's like, yes, I'd love to. Yeah. So everyone's just helping each other out in this community, and it's, and it's really cool to see and be a part of. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we're all in this together, and that's, that's what's important to remember. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks for sharing your cool. story. Thanks, yeah. Pat. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>